Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everybody. Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, If you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. You crack open a Dr. Pepper. You know it'll only make you more thirsty in the long run, but you need some liquid in your mouth, and you're saving your remaining 15 gallons for a quick shower. The U-Haul is finally almost packed up. You may be able to make it down to San Francisco in time. Living in Redwood Valley has been nice the last few years. It's a beautiful place, but in August of 2022, the drought became too much. Late last year, California's new far-right governor lifted all water restrictions on farmers. This sparked a new statewide race to use what water was available before it ran out. Lake Mendocino was already low at the beginning of the year, and for the first time in your memory, it is now completely empty. San Francisco isn't doing great either, but it's much better off than where you live. The Russian River watershed relies almost entirely on rainfall and is isolated from state and federal aqueducts. After the governor lifted water restrictions, new almond and pot farms started sucking up groundwater, and by the end of the summer, they'd started pumping from the river to feed their thirsty crops. By mid-July, your town implemented a 25-gallon limit per person per day. 
That's about as much water as you go through during a five-minute shower. The first thing you sacrificed was your garden, then you stopped flushing after you peed. These tweaks added up, though, and without water, the lifestyle you'd loved just stopped being possible. Your brother in San Francisco offered to let you move in with him. You weren't a fan of the big city, but at least you'd be able to shower again. And so you find yourself sipping an empty soda can and loading up your last few boxes into the U-Haul. You give your brother a quick call, saying you're all packed up and about to head out. He sounds worried and mentions something about his school letting new teachers go due to budget cuts. You can't really afford to think about that now. You just need to leave. Since you're all sweaty from loading the U-Haul the last few days, you decide to hop into the shower one last time. You knew it wouldn't last long, but you still seemed surprised when the water turned off after what felt like only two minutes. You quickly dry off and grab some clean clothes from your backpack and throw your damp towel into the passenger seat of the truck. You say goodbye to your home of ten years and to your old succulent plants, and begin the three-hour drive down to San Francisco. Water scarcity is a problem you're probably already familiar with, especially if you live in the Southwest. California has dealt with particularly brutal droughts over the last 20 years, and the Golden State's water problems could be about to get much, much worse. Because in just a few days, California might find itself helmed by a far-right governor with a near-religious hatred of water conservation. Electoral politics are not generally a big focus on this show. But what's going on in the state of California could have serious implications for many people, including those outside the West Coast. The ongoing recall campaign against Governor Gavin Newsom started out in June of 2020 with Republican politicians and activists unhappy with Newsom's handling of the pandemic. Newsom's opposition to President Trump's crackdown on undocumented immigrants also played a role. This is actually the fifth recall attempt against Newsom since he took office in 2019, but it's the first one to gain traction. It's fueled in part by Newsom's own hypocrisy and hubris. On November 6, 2020, the recall effort gained court approval for a signature gathering extension. And later that night, Governor Newsom went to a birthday party for a Sacramento lobbyist and friend at French Laundry, a pricey Napa Valley restaurant. Soon after, photos surfaced of Newsom mingling maskless at the packed restaurant. He faced heavy criticism and apologized, but the damage was done. Republicans latched on to this as an opportunity to finally push the recall effort through. The recall petition, which had only 55,588 signatures on the day of the dinner, had nearly half a million a month after the November 6th incident. California's recall process is probably the least democratic one in the United States. Gathering signatures to authorize a recall election is a pretty standard thing, but California has among the lowest signature requirements in states that allow for the recall of an official. Most states require that the recall campaign must gather signatures equal to 25% of the votes cast in the last election. California requires just 12% for executive officials. The LA Times notes, quote, That might have been a high bar in 1911, when the population was scattered across the 770-mile length of the state, but is it too low in 2021 when petitions for ballot measures are gathered en masse by paid staff and parking lots? And that's not the only questionable aspect of California's recall process. On recall election day, voters will face two questions on the ballot. First, yes or no on whether to recall Governor Gavin Newsom from office. Second, and this one is technically optional, if so, who among the 46 candidates do you want to take his place? The first question is decided by a simple majority, just like other ballot measures. But when it comes to the second question, the percentage requirements change. The replacement candidate doesn't need more than 50% to win. 
So if more than 50% of the voters say yes on the recall question, Governor Newsom must step down, even if he has more overall support than any other individual challenger on the ballot. The replacement question is determined by who gets the most votes among the challengers on the ballot, which Newsom cannot be on. So 49.9% of the voters can back Mr. Newsom, and he can still lose to someone who is supported by only, say, 20% of the electorate, or even a smaller fraction. For other California elections, including special elections triggered by the death or resignation of an official, a candidate cannot win without the support of a majority of voters. If a candidate doesn't win over 50% outright, then the top two compete in a runoff election. Not the case for California's recall process. Organizers of the recall campaign submitted 2.1 million signatures by the March 17th filing deadline. 1,719,900 signatures were ultimately determined to have been valid, which was enough to trigger the recall. The deadline for casting your vote is September 14th. If the recall succeeds, the new governor would be in office for the remainder of Mr. Newsom's term through January 2nd, 2023. And that leaves a lot of time for executive fuckery, especially considering the new frontrunner. Far-right radio talk show host and frequent Fox guest Larry Elder has emerged as the likely candidate to replace Newsom in the event the recall goes through. Elder, who is 69, jumped into the race relatively late in the game, during mid-July. At that time, it was more of a toss-up between Republican candidates Kevin Falconer, a former San Diego mayor, and businessman John Cox, who lost badly to Newsom in the 2018 gubernatorial election. Assemblyman Kevin Kiley and former athlete and media personality Caitlyn Jenner polled less well. But as Larry Elder entered the race, he almost immediately became the frontrunner in polls and raised lots of money from small donors. In the three weeks after he announced his campaign, he raised nearly $4.5 million, according to fundraising disclosures. That's more than every other Republican challenger, sans multimillionaire businessman John Cox, who's largely funding his own campaign. Elder has been a central figurehead of the right-wing radio talk show scene since the 90s, but has always been hesitant to run for public office, deeming the state of California ungovernable due to its liberal supermajority. But after talking with his friend and mentor, Dennis Prager, of the neo-fascist propaganda outlet PragerU, he figured it might be worth a shot and has expressed desire to use the emergency powers of the governor to push the state rightwards. Elder was born in Los Angeles, but moved to Cleveland to attend law school and opened his own firm in 1980. Elder's career began as a bit of an accident. He'd been invited on a Cleveland station as a guest. He did so well on air that, when the regular host went on vacation the following week, the program director asked Elder to fill in. Soon enough, Elder had his own weekly time slot on the Cleveland station. In the early 90s, a guest host from Los Angeles, Dennis Prager, visited Cleveland. Elder quickly impressed Prager with his on-air wit and talent, coupled with the uniqueness of a black man openly expressing extreme conservative views. Prager persuaded his home station, KABC in Los Angeles, to give Elder a shot. Quoting the LA Times, Elder returned to his hometown in 1994, two years after the civil unrest following the acquittal of the officers who beat Rodney King, and in the midst of the O.J. Simpson murder case. The program director at rival KFI, David G. Hall, felt KABC made a creative move, bringing on this guy from South Central who swung the other way on race. Almost from the beginning, the self-proclaimed sage from South Central whipped up a furor. He mixed soundbites from Representative Maxine Waters with a recording of a barking dog. He said, Blacks exaggerate the significance of racism, while women did the same in regards to sexism. 
For nearly four years, Elder has slapped many members of his own race in the face on radio, belittling them as whiners or losers, holding himself up as a model of African-American excellence. He's become a darling of white listeners who seem to almost gush when they telephone him on KABC Talk Radio. They are astonished to find a black man who not only isn't going to chastise them, but who also often agreed with them, a black man who declared that race was no longer a significant factor in American society. Elder also doesn't believe that racial profiling exists. This is despite telling the Times editorial board that police pulled him over between 75 and 100 times the first year he had his driver's license. Elder's regressive, provocative content angered many Angelinos, and black citizens of California led a boycott of advertisers on the show. It worked, and by the late 90s, the show had begun losing millions in ad revenue. But thanks to syndication, changing networks, podcasts, and TV appearances, Elder has been able to remain a central figure of the right-wing content sphere. He most recently starred in a video series for far-right propaganda organization and literal cult, The Epoch Times. According to Elder's campaign, the central recall issues he is focusing on are rampant crime, rising homelessness, out-of-control costs of living, water shortages, disastrous wildfires, rolling brownouts, and repressive COVID restrictions. For this show, we'll be focusing on the last three as they relate to the rapidly shifting and hostile climate. For the past 30 years, Elder has been a classic conservative climate denier. He had a whole section of his website devoted to debunking the gore-bull warming myth. Like, Al Gore, bullshit, warming myth, yeah, it's a bad pun. In a CNN interview prior to the 2008 election, Elder called global warming a false myth while disparaging and making fun of both John McCain and George W. Bush for discussing global warming as a serious issue. However, more recently, Elder has shifted his rhetoric around the climate. In an interview last month, he expressed belief that some warming is taking place, but by using old soft denialist talking points, climate is always changing, of course the climate's changing, the question is, what do we do about it? Do we deal with the effects of it, or do we force feed a renewables-based economy down the throats of people, jacking up the price of energy, a disproportionate pain for poor people? But of course there's climate change, and the climate is getting warmer and maybe about a degree or so in the last several years, and it will likely continue. He adds, what I don't believe in is climate change alarmism. He also said that he was not sure whether climate change is making wildfires worse. Quote, fires have gotten worse because the failure of this governor to engage in sensible fire suppression. Elder also blames California's rising housing costs on environmental extremists that jack up the cost of housing so that developers have to wait and wait and get sued over and over again so that finally when the home is built, it's way more expensive than otherwise it would be without these environmental rules and regulations. Despite the slight backpedaling on climate for better media optics, his potential policies on the topic are just as horrendous as one might assume. In a recent video news conference, Elder declared that he would end the war on oil and gas and the attack on the logging industry while also reducing regulation on fracking and stopping California's growing efforts to expand wind and solar power, which he calls not very efficient. Elder did not mention climate change during his news conference. Water scarcity will be an increasingly severe concern for California in the coming years. Drought is already a major political talking point among voters and politicians, and it creates another rift between city folk and rural farmers. Farmers are having a harder time growing crops and feel threatened by water rationing. They're frustrated by the thought that the Democrats running cities will always prioritize pumping extra water into population-dense areas. Meanwhile, people in cities are concerned they will be forced to cut back on personal water use as almond farmers suck up tons of water to feed their droops. Just building more dams and water catchment systems or aquifers may seem like a solution, and if done properly, some of those things might help, but they can't make up for a lack of rainfall and snowmelt. 
Relying on river water has its own problems. Pulling too much from fresh water that flows through rivers allows for extra salt water to intrude from the bay and ocean. Salinity in the water negatively impacts local ecosystems and dirties what is supposed to be a freshwater source. Drought is simultaneously pushing migratory fish species like Chinook salmon and steelhead trout closer to the brink of extinction. Large numbers of fish are dying off because the rivers they rely on as spawning habitats are too warm or too low. Anxiety around water, droughts, and crops is among the issues driving some people to vote yes on the recall. A poll conducted last July by the Public Policy Institute of California found that residents cited drought and water supply as their top environmental concern, with about 25% calling it their chief concern, which makes it poll well above the related problems of wildfires, air pollution, and climate change. Republican politicians have been using anxiety around drought to drum up support for the recall by blaming the current situation on Newsom. The original recall petition against Newsom from early in 2020 warned that the governor, quote, seeks to impose additional burdens on our state, including rationing our water use. Last April, Governor Newsom did declare a drought emergency in two northwest California counties. The order allowed state officials to restrict the amount of water diverted from the Russian River and authorized the relocation of fish stranded in drying puddles. The local county government asked residents to use no more than 50 gallons per day per person. But Newsom himself hasn't mandated water rationing for individual consumers, though he has asked Californians to voluntarily cut consumption by 15% and has suggested that statewide restrictions could be on the table if conditions worsen heading into the fall. Newsom and the Department of Water Resources as a whole do have ideas in mind for tackling this issue. Last year, Newsom authorized an $11 billion water infrastructure project, building a single 30-mile tunnel under the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta. The project, which has been discussed for years, is being pushed forward in hopes that it will protect the Delta's existing wetland ecosystem and supply enough fresh, clean water to be diverted south for the rest of the state. But the tunnel concept has faced opposition, both locally and from conservation-minded folks. Some residents in the Delta region see it as just a water grab to meet the demands of Southern California and the agriculture industry, while the needs of those up north are being ignored. Ecologically focused critics say it could still increase salinity in the Delta and result in notable harm for the ecosystem. Newsom has more recently discussed other action and legislation to help mitigate the continued drought. Quoting the San Francisco Chronicle, In July, the governor signed a state budget that includes $5.1 billion over four years for new water infrastructure and drought preparation projects, including money to repair delivery canals, help farmers irrigate crops more efficiently, and start water recycling projects. Still, Newsom's recent actions have done little to quell anger among many farmers who say the state's failure to plan for another major drought just a few years after it exited the last one has put them on the brink of ruin. Ernest Buddy Mendez, a lifelong farmer in Fresno County and Republican County supervisor, said he was forced to let hundreds of acres where he used to grow cotton and wheat dry up this year after his allotment of river water was slashed to zero. He's relying on groundwater pumped from wells to keep his grove of almond trees alive. Mendez said he hasn't decided whom to support as a replacement candidate in the recall, just that he will vote hell yeah to remove Newsom. Let's face it, Newsom, damn is a four-letter word, Mendez said. We haven't done anything in 20 years about building storage. California already does have one of the most extensive dam systems in the country, with nearly 1,500 reservoirs. Building new on-river dams would cost billions of dollars, if such efforts even survive legal challenges, which are all but guaranteed amid the struggle to save endangered fish species. There are not many areas left that would make sense or be sustainable to build a new, large reservoir. One other, more cost-effective solution could be to store more water collected during wet years in underground aquifers. 
One of the solutions to this problem is the same as the solution to a number of other climate-related problems, which is that we simply have to cut the amount of resources we're consuming, whether that means reducing our energy use or cutting down on wasteful water use. You can only build so many dams. The trend of California farmers growing thirstier crops has made an existing problem much worse. Today, the state produces three times as many acres of almonds as it did 25 years ago. With California most likely entering a third straight year of disappointing rainfall and snowmelt, anxiety around drought and increased severity of water restrictions won't get any better. And if the La Nina weather pattern hits the West Coast as it's poised to, that would mean the western U.S. will have a drier and hotter winter than average. Last August, water regulators made an unprecedented move to begin cracking down on water use in the sprawling Sacramento River and San Joaquin River watersheds, ordering 4,500 farmers, water districts, and other landowners, including the city of San Francisco, to stop drawing water from the basins of the river or face penalties of up to $10,000 a day. The city has enough water in its reservoirs to meet demand for at least a couple of years, and stored water is not affected by the state restrictions. Water agencies also can seek an exemption from curtailments if human health or safety are compromised. This does hit rural areas and agriculture the hardest, because most cities have alternative supplies and stored water to tap into. Looking to attract voters, Larry Elder and other Republican challengers to Newsom have made it a recurring point to say that farmers should not have to endure such cuts. But they don't really give any prospective solutions to prevent rationing when water levels at reservoirs, lakes, and wells are all plummeting. Larry Elder said drought is not inevitable, and said he supports building more reservoirs and dams to store runoff, but he has also voiced support for permitting desalinization projects. Desalinization devastates ocean life, costs much more than other alternatives, and uses tons of energy. Also, soon it will be made obsolete by increasing focus on water recycling. Explaining desalinization quickly, ocean water is collected and run through pipes to remove the largest solids and then pumped through reverse osmosis filters to remove salt, while fish and other creatures die upon being sucked in or just from the force of the water flow. In a report studying a desalinization plant in the early 2000s, it was found that on average over a five-year period, 19.4 billion larvae were caught up at intakes and about 2.7 million fish, along with marine mammals and sea turtles, were killed by intake equipment. For every gallon of drinking water, desalinization leaves another gallon of salty brine behind. The plants then just mix that with two parts ocean water before pumping it back into the ocean. These measures can negatively impact the environment for this generation and generations to come. This type of resource extractive thinking reflects how we got into the problem in the first place. Battling over water allotments will only get us so far when dealing with lackluster rainfall. What can help is permaculture programs to help farmers learn ways to irrigate more effectively and cultivate healthier soils that retain water, moving away from water-heavy crops like almonds and towards more sustainable and moisture-efficient crops must also be done if we want to stave off the worst effects. Putting Larry Elder in office won't make it rain, but it will put the state at least another year further behind on taking the kind of action necessary to ensure California remains habitable. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrified horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The last few months in San Francisco have been, honestly, better than you expected. Still hot and dry, but now that you're in fall, the heat has become manageable. In the Bay Area, at least. Staying with your brother has been actually really nice. The first few showers felt like luxury. Recently, he's had less of a good time. He found out he was getting laid off right before the school year started. He told me over 15,000 other teachers have been fired as a part of the governor's new Reform Schools program. The teachers' union is fighting it, but your brother isn't too optimistic regarding the outcome. He's been looking for new work, and meanwhile, you've gotten a shitty retail job to help with bills while you decide on what hospitals you want to apply to. You don't really miss your old EMS job in Redwood Valley. When you finally do get back into medical care, you really prefer something in a hospital or clinic setting, as opposed to the extra stress inherent in emergency services. The one chance you have had to use your medical skills since moving was during the fires last September and October. Back up north, they got really bad, and hundreds of thousands of people evacuated down south. Some old activist friends of yours from college made their own fire relief slash mutual aid setup to give out clothes and food and to help people displaced by the fires. 
You haven't talked much with your old college buddies in the past few years, but upon hearing of the relief effort, you happily offered up your skills to help with minor medical issues in a small medic tent they set up. It was the first time you've helped with anything related to protests or organizing since you moved up to Redwood Valley 10 years ago. It was oddly refreshing. Politics hasn't been a major part of your life since college, but speaking of politics, midterms are finally this month. The past year has felt like it stretched on forever. Your brother and his union buddies have been doing canvassing for a few progressive city council candidates that might actually get a shot at getting in. You haven't had time to adjust to San Francisco's local political scene, and honestly, you're not sure if you really care to. You have been keeping half an eye on the big state electoral races, though, which feels kind of weird. You know there's no way the Republican governor will get reelected, not here in California. One thing that has gotten you worried is the weekly anti-election fraud rallies that have been happening in L.A. ever since October. The governor, surrounded by state troopers, has made it down himself a few times to drum up support from his fan base. And after the rallies, roving gangs of far-right extremists have gone around randomly attacking homeless encampments. You heard that just last week after a Sunday rally, three people had to be rushed to the emergency room. It's now just a week before election day. You're on the bus home from your job at the vintage clothing store when you receive a message on Signal from one of your old college mutual aid buddies you met up with again during the fire relief effort. The message reads, Hey, are you free on election day? You hadn't really thought about the day itself. You respond, Maybe. Nothing really planned yet. Your friend replies with a fat wall of text. My affinity group and I are heading down to L.A. on Tuesday. There's a big Stop the Steal type rally happening, and word is lots of Proud Boys are going to show up. Comrades in L.A. have put out some calls for support, so my crew is going to go down and probably bring some medical stuff. If you want to come, we got an extra seat in the van. The thought of driving down to Los Angeles to deal with Proud Boys doesn't excite you, especially on an already stressful day. You think about it for a few minutes. Images of the people maimed during and after the recent rallies floods your mind. Your buddies know more about organizing and protests than you do, but you have more medical training. You decide you'll do it. You reply, I'll come with, and pack some extra IFAX and tourniquets. Among the issues Republican recall challengers have raised to attack Newsom, Forest mismanagement has loomed large among the recent complaints. This type of thing harkens back to Trump's old habit of blaming the governor and not raking enough leaves for California's fiery plight. On a larger scale, this can be seen as part of an effort to push all the blame of wildfires off of oil, gas, and our transformation of the climate, and onto a simple lack of fire prevention measures. This narrative, of course, makes the fossil fuel industry more happy. The thing is, all of these things are contributing factors for California's wildfire problem. Climate change caused hotter temperatures and droughts makes fires easier to catch and spread, and inadequate forest management plus above-ground power lines do the same. Just because there are bad faith attacks on Newsom doesn't mean there aren't actual failures he's made as governor, especially in relation to the forests. An investigation from Cap Radio and California NPR, published last June, found out Newsom had grossly misrepresented and flat-out lied about his promises of new wildfire prevention efforts. Elements of the piece were of course used by Larry Elder and the right to push for support of the recall, 
but the article itself is a very fine piece of journalism. Back when Newsom first took office in January of 2019, one of the first things he did was sign an executive order overhauling how California handles wildfire prevention and forest management. The measures included removal of hazardous dead trees, vegetation clearing, creation of fuel breaks in community defensible spaces, and creation of ingress and egress corridors. In January 2020, a year after Newsom's initial announcement, the governor's office claimed in a press release that under the executive order's priority projects, 90,000 acres got treated with these fire prevention measures. But according to data obtained by Cap Radio and NPR, the actual number of acres treated by these priority projects was only 11,399, just 13% of the number Newsom boasted about. Quoting the piece by Cap Radio, quote, Data shows Cal Fire's fuel reduction output dropped by half in 2020, to levels below Governor Jerry Brown's final year in office. At the same time, Newsom slashed roughly $150 million from Cal Fire's wildfire prevention budget. In 2020, 4.3 million acres burned, the most in California's recorded history. That was more than double the previous record set in 2018 when the campfire destroyed the town of Paradise, ultimately killing 85 people. A decade ago, Cal Fire was trading a paltry 17,000 acres annually. That number has steadily climbed. Though Newsom misrepresented the number of acres treated in his priority projects, the overall amount of wildfire mitigation work carried out by Cal Fire spiked in his first year of office to 64,000 acres. But in 2020, fuel reduction totals plummeted to less than 32,000 acres, a roughly 50% drop, unquote. Multiple factors contributed to 2020's subpar fire prevention and reduction efforts. In 2019, the year with the largest number of acres treated in recent history, the state budget allotted for $355 million for wildfire prevention and resource management. But after the COVID-19 pandemic hit California in early 2020, Newsom cut the budget by 40%, down to $203 million. On top of the budget cuts, the fires themselves made prevention work more challenging. 2020's wildfire season started out early, which resulted in less time to do prescribed burns and thinnings because the same teams that are tasked with prevention and fuel reduction often also serve as firefighters once the fires break out. As of May 2021, Cal Fire has treated over 23,000 acres throughout the year. This puts California on a trajectory better than last year's total, but not as high as the 60,000-plus acres treated in 2019. Newsom has been trying to make up for his missteps and gross exaggerations. Quoting the Cap Radio report again, quote, Newsom is trying to play catch-up, with the state enjoying an unexpected surplus Newsom proposed $2 billion in spending on wildfires and emergency preparedness, with $1.2 billion going towards wildfire resiliency in the upcoming budget. Experts say the increase in prevention spending could help the state get closer to a less dangerous wildfire season over time. But they also expressed concern over whether the state will sustain that commitment for years to come. Unquote. Revelations about Newsom's and Cal Fire's lies and lackluster forest management were quickly jumped on by Larry Elder and other Republican challengers as an easy way to attack Newsom and to move the conversation about wildfires away from climate change. Elder has said he has quote-unquote no idea why more prevention and reduction measures aren't being done, and when he becomes governor, he'll be quote 
implementing these commonsensical kinds of plans so that we can reduce the severity of these fires, unquote. Elder has given no concrete plans on what measures he'll be shooting to implement or any indication on how much money will be directed to prevent or fight fires. On the note of budgets, Elder has said that the more recent spending on wind and solar power has left, quote, less money for removing trees and putting power lines underground, the kind of things that would make these fires less intense, unquote. And he promises to drastically cut spending on renewables, while also investing more in oil and gas. To be clear, Newsom's upcoming budget contains billions for both fire prevention slash fuel reduction and renewable energy such as wind and solar. Whoever ends up governing California is not only in charge of local politics, like governors in other states. What happens in California affects people across the country and even globally. Whether that's wildfire smoke traveling across continents, or changes to supply chains and industry rippling across the world. California is, after all, the world's fifth largest economy. There are also political ramifications that could affect the state as a whole if Elder gets in office. The Senate is currently a 50-50 split between Republicans and Democrats, with Vice President Kamala Harris getting the tie-breaking vote. One of California's senators is 88-year-old Dianne Feinstein, the oldest active senator. If she dies in office or has to step down due to medical reasons before her term is over, the governor of California gets to appoint her replacement. If Elder appoints a Republican, then the Senate will be back under GOP control. And given his connections to the far-right media sphere, the list of potentials that Elder could appoint is frightening. This is by no means inevitable, even if Elder gets into office. If he does, Feinstein does have the brief opportunity to step down and put a replacement in before the new governor is sworn into office. However, Feinstein has said she has no plans of doing so. Reports of her declining health have become only more common in recent years, but like many politicians and judges, she's not keen on stepping aside even to possibly help prevent a disastrous outcome. Changes in the Senate are not required for horrible outcomes in the wake of an even brief elder governorship. His anti-vax sentiments and plan to open up the state and remove basically all COVID restrictions will result in hospitals being pushed to max capacity. Elder has said he has plans to appoint education officials, similar to former Secretary Betsy DeVos, and judicial appointees like conservative Supreme Court Justice Clarice Thomas. Elder has stated his intention of declaring states of emergency and using executive orders to push through otherwise unpopular legislation. He has discussed plans to declare an education emergency in order to fire upwards of 21,000 quote-unquote bad teachers. Elder blames teacher unions for, quote, protecting bad teachers, and in a recent interview stated, quote, Someone told me that between 5% and 7% of public school teachers need to be fired. An emergency declaration would give the power to get rid of bad teachers faster than the system allows. Once you did that, automatically education would improve overnight, unquote. Now, Elder has not specified who had advised him on teacher terminations or how he plans to weed out the so-called bad teachers out of the 300,000 in the school system. He's also touted plans to declare a homeless emergency, but his solutions have nothing to do with actually helping homeless people. His homeless emergency declaration would allow him to suspend the California Environmental Quality Act, the law requiring environmental review of building projects. Elder's stated goal is to 
unleash developers and contractors without environmental regulation, which he claims, quote, treats developers and contractors like criminals, unquote, and allows building projects to get suspended indefinitely, ultimately raising the cost of housing, in his opinion. One of the more frightening aspects of Larry Elder is his close ties to many far-right propagandists. He's done work for PragerU, Epic Times, and has been a guest on Fox News at least 220 times in the past five years. In the last episode, we discussed his friendship with Dennis Prager. Also, Dave Rubin just recently campaigned for Elder at a recent rally. And a month and a half ago, Elder was on Candace Owens' show, discussing how the descendants of slave owners deserve reparations for having their property, i.e. black people, stolen from them when the slaves were freed. Those are his words, not mine. What's probably most concerning is Elder's connection to Stephen Miller. In fact, we wouldn't have Stephen Miller if it were not for Larry Elder. Back in the late 90s, a conservative student from Santa Monica High School would call into Larry Elder's show to rant about his school's liberal culture. Reportedly, the student would go around demanding staff and fellow students regularly recite the Pledge of Allegiance. He railed against condom giveaways and called Spanish language announcements, quote, a crutch preventing Spanish speakers from standing on their own, unquote. Young Californians calling into Elder's show and agreeing with him wasn't very common, and Elder ate it up. He loved talking with the student so much that he let the kid on basically any time he wanted a platform to rant and rave. You know where this is going. That student was Stephen Miller. According to Miller, he appeared on Elder's show 69 times throughout his time in high school and university, and calls Elder, quote, the one true guide I've always had, unquote. Miller's appearances on Elder's radio show made him a recognizable figure in the larger conservative media world, helping him connect with Steve Bannon and eventually President Trump. By extension, Elder was Stephen Miller's on-ramp to the White House. In an email to Miller in 2016, Elder told him, quote, I hope to live to see the day when you become president. When media has brought up his friendship with Stephen Miller, Elder tries very quickly to change the subject. When pushed on the topic in a recent interview, Elder shot back with, quote, Why would you bring up Stephen Miller? I'm just wondering what the agenda here is. What's the point? Am I somehow, what, a Nazi? A fascist? Unquote. I think that says enough. The reason we haven't discussed the other candidates in the recall election is because, at this point, if Newsom is recalled, it's absolutely certain that Elder will be the one to succeed him. He has a 20-point lead ahead other challengers, but that lead is still only a tiny fraction of the total electorate, which demonstrates the part of the problem in California's recall process. There are other Republican challengers with concerning pasts and beliefs— Lots of anti-mask, anti-trans, anti-vax, total disbelief in climate change, people spouting QAnon-originated conspiracy claims, advocating the lie that the presidential election was stolen, and there's even a Democrat challenger that plans to use the National Guard to round up all homeless people and put them in concentration camps. But Elder himself shares a lot of those views, and uses the fact that he's black as a shield for criticism— against his racist and nationalist policies and ideas. We haven't even mentioned that last month, Elder's ex-fiancée came out and said that Elder was extremely abusive and had threatened her with a loaded gun. In early August, polls were showing pretty much neck and neck for the first question on the ballot, 
yes or no on the recall itself. A Survey USA poll from that time even had 40% of respondents vote no on the recall and 51% vote yes to remove Newsom. Throughout August and September, results started to flip the other direction as ads against the recall hit the airwaves and internet. The latest Survey USA poll has 54% voting no on the recall and 41% voting yes. Other polls hover around the same 10 to 15 point lead for Newsom staying in office. Now, with polls not going the way Elder and the GOP would like, we're starting to see a new yet familiar narrative being prepared. On, on, my, on my website, electelder.com, we have a voter integrity project. We have lawyers all set up, all ready to go to file lawsuits in a timely fashion. The reason the lawsuits did not, did not work in the 2020 election, we know what happened there, is because the lawsuits were filed too late and many of them were dismissed on procedural grounds. Courts don't like to overturn an election. So when you hear of anything suspicious, we've heard a lot of things that have been suspicious so far, go to electelder.com. We're going to sick our lawyers on them, file lawsuits right away. They're going to cheat. We know that. But I'll tell you what. So many people are angry about the crime, about the homelessness, about the way he shut down this state, about the fact that one-third of all small businesses, many of them are owned by black and brown and Asian American people that they care about, about the declining quality of schools, about the fact that people are leaving, rolling brownouts, lack of water. So many people are angry. The number of people that are going to vote to recall this man is going to be so overwhelming so that even when they cheat, they're still going to lose. That's Larry Elder saying that if he doesn't win, that means the election must have been stolen. Fox News has been promoting the same idea the past month. All of it is in the vein of the Stop the Steal movement post the 2020 presidential election, culminating with the attempted insurrection on January 6th. Here's Elder again on Fox News in early September. But you're right, I am concerned about voter fraud. And that's why I'm asking people to go to electelder.com. That's my website. We have a voter integrity project set up with a bunch of lawyers ready to file lawsuits if anybody sees anything suspicious. Big 2020 election fraud conspiracy proponent and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich was one of the first people to chime in to stoke disinformation about the recall election. And I think this may well be the most rigged statewide election uh, we've seen probably in at least a half century. Uh, and I think people should look carefully at this because there's pretty good evidence that if Newsom is in a straight, honest count, he probably has a good chance of losing. But if they can stuff every ballot box in California and they can cheat in every way possible. And of course, this type of propaganda has made it onto the most watched cable news show on air, Tucker Carlson. California does not get the credit it deserves for the corruption that's endemic there. It's a one party state and they act like it. And you've got to have concerns about whether this recall election will be free and fair. Are you concerned? Well, of course I'm concerned, Tucker. I'm involved in election integrity efforts throughout the United States, and I'm also a member of the Republican National Committee. So we have a team of lawyers that is ready to deploy throughout the state here, and we are monitoring things every single day. Just a couple of hours ago, I filed a lawsuit to intervene in a challenge to the constitutionality of the recall statute, because frankly, I don't trust the Secretary of State or the Attorney General, who are both appointed by the governor, to defend him in this regard. And so we are going to be jumping on every potential opportunity to do that and fight back against the Democrats. Of course, they are uh, playing fast and loose. We've seen some very alarming scenes of 300 ballots uh, bundled together in the car of a person with a gun and some drugs. And so we are definitely looking into all of these issues. But 
Tucker, ultimately it's going to come down to how much do people want to change in California? And I can tell you, even living in my latte sipping, avocado toast uh, eating, you know, Lululemon wearing neighborhood in San Francisco, people are fed up with the crime, the drugs, the homelessness, yeah. the intermittent electricity and everything else that is uh, wrong with California. So people want to change here. It's just not working. And this really is a test of whether our system works. I mean, can people get better leadership? That's kind of the question. Will there be election observers on the scene so the rest of us can know this was fair? Well, 100 uh, percent. The problem in California is that the voting doesn't just take place on Election Day like it would in a normal place. It takes it's taking place now on a rolling basis through mail in voting. It's 100 percent mail in ballots this time around. And it is going to take place for 30 days after the election if it's close because they have 30 days to count the vote. That's 60 days of voting. And of course, a lot of shenanigans can occur and ballots yeah. can disappear. So we are going to be observing it very closely and demanding accountability and filing lawsuits wherever we need to to hold the Democrats accountable because we cannot trust them. Yeah, I, I hope so. People want to believe the system works, that it's real, that they have power, that their vote matters. So I appreciate what you're doing. Harmeet Dillon, thank you. A lot of what's said in that last clip is either extremely misrepresented or just flat out lies. Those 300 ballots found in a car were actually part of a larger mail theft thing, not related to the election at all. Voters have received new ballots. And for this election, just like the last one, Californians have the option to vote in person, to mail in ballots, or deliver them in a drop box. The deadline to drop off, mail, or place your vote is September 14th. Counting cannot start till the 14th either, and like every election, there will be observers throughout the entire counting process. Obviously, this isn't the first time conservative media has hyped up election fraud, the last presidential election being the biggest instance to date. But what is concerning here is that they're setting up a template to use for all future elections whenever Republicans lose. Here's a Fox clip from September 7th. The only thing that will save Gavin Newsom is voter fraud. So as they say, stay woke, pay attention to the voter fraud going on in California, because it's going to have big consequences not only for that state, but for upcoming elections. It's safe to assume that Stop the Steal-esque strategies will be used almost every time a Republican loses in an election going forward. We've seen exactly what this type of rhetoric and propaganda leads to, and it ends in blood. There were multiple attacks on state capitals during the Stop the Steal rallies prior to January 6th. In some places, like Salem, Oregon, they succeeded in getting inside the capitol. Even if Newsom gets to stay in office, there will still be many problems. Election conspiracies and the possibility of violence like January 6th just being one. We haven't wanted to righteously defend Newsom here. He's a politician, and inept in many ways. He deserves plenty of criticism, especially on the issues of climate change. But the criticism levied at Newsom from the likes of Elder and the GOP are based on bigotry, nationalism, and climate denial. Newsom should be our punching bag, not theirs. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Greetings and welcome to It Could Happen Here. I'm Garrison Davis. I am a researcher and writer on the podcast team. Today, we have a roundtable discussion uh, with a group of uh, researchers who look into extremism and political uh, political violence, uh, usually stemming from uh, far-right propagandists and people in that kind of whole sphere. So we have a, a discussion relating to climate change and all these other things that I was able to record with these uh, fine people. It's split up into two sections. So part one is coming out today. Part two is coming out tomorrow. Highly recommend you listen to both. Uh, maybe maybe even back to back at some point because it does really give a, a nice rounded out um, uh, view of what we were talking about. So without further ado, here is my discussion with like, I don't know, well, not not a dozen, but a, 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 lar- a large amount of terrorism researchers uh, as we are all uh, in the woods, as you will soon find out. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the uh, the Daily Show. I am Garrison Davis, and I am recording in an undisclosed location in the woods. Um, we are we, uh, me and a few a few internet colleagues are all 
hiding from the world for a week to reset our poisoned brains. But I'm going to slightly re-poison us here for about an hour to have a discussion about climate change and uh, terrorism. Because we have a group of people here who are all who all research the bad thing online uh, a lot. So I'm going to try to try to use to, to take advantage of having this uh, unique group of people all in one location to have this nice discussion for you guys. But yeah, specifically, we want we want to talk about how we how each of us as an you know quote unquote expert in certain fields um, see climate change impacting impacting uh, extremism and terrorism in the next in the next few decades. Um, and yes, we are recording in the forest, so if you hear sounds like we're in the forest, that's because we are. Um, you, you guys already know me, or you probably do, but I'm gonna, we're gonna go around a circle, probably starting on my left, um, introducing the people, and yeah, just give a brief, a brief, uh, brief bio, however detailed you want to get into. Okay. Uh, my name's Matt Taylor. I'm a journalist and researcher focusing on cults, um, conspiracy theories, and extremism, and today is my birthday. Happy birthday, Matt, in the, in the past. Uh, my name's Theo. I am a journalist and researcher as well. I mostly focus on the American militia movement and paramilitary groups. I'm Toothpick. I'm with uh, Theo, Matt, Emmy, and Big Newhouse, who isn't here on Terrorism Bat. I, uh, that, that's, a, that's a podcast, by the way. Self-plug. Um, I've, my research and reporting focuses on, mainly on conspiracy theories and where that overlaps uh, with political extremism and the focus on connections between uh, U.S. and Europe, uh, especially Germany. Uh, I'm Peter Smith. I'm a journalist with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network and the host of the Unusual Show podcast. I'm Lily, and I focus on extremism and counterterrorism. And data analysis. And I'm Emmy. I do digital propaganda and rhetoric. So that 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 is our little crew. Um, yeah, let's see what the uh, first thing we kind of want to talk about. I'm guessing is how we see cl- like small because like the, the podcast is more about like smaller local collapses. Like we we don't there's not going to be one big collapse. We're going to see small things start to fall apart. And how we see, when small things fall apart, what we do we see filling in those gaps? Specifically, I think this will tie into the militia movement a lot in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, you guys can start sp- sprouting off your, your knowledge. Yeah, so one of the things that I've been thinking of and following, and I don't know uh, if this has made as much of an impact in U.S. media... Um, But in the last month, um, parts of Germany and the Netherlands experienced um, really bad flooding um, that that literally wiped out some villages and some towns. Um, And one of the things that uh, we've seen in Germany is, you know, far-right groups. um, There isn't really a militia movement because of the laws there, but but far-right groups rushing in um, and collecting aid and going for photo ops. Uh, in those catastrophe areas. Um, And what that does make me think of, and maybe Theo can talk more about this, uh, is we've seen similar stuff in the U.S. with the militia movement marking themselves as, you know, emergency preparedness, um, or marking themselves in that way, and positioning themselves where, when, you know, the government is unable to respond, that these groups are able to come in 
um, and also using that for their messaging and for their rhetoric. Yeah, so, I mean, that is something that you see in the U.S. Uh, the biggest example, Garrison and I talked about this earlier, but uh, during the wildfires in Oregon last year, you saw checkpoints being established by militia groups, whether already formed militia groups or kind of impromptu armed bands. Uh, and you also see that as like a big marketing thing. I know a lot of the Virginia-based militias that I follow went out to Tennessee uh, two, one or two years ago when the tornadoes happened. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, they did a bunch of kind of aid and photo ops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, just not to dox myself, but I'm from Nashville and then uh, beginning of 2020 in March, right before coronavirus. Someone just dropped a toy gun. Great job, guys. Yeah, so in the beginning uh, of March of last year, right before COVID hit Nashville, we had a huge tornado go through Nashville itself and wipe out um, like two different neighborhoods and then a rural town right outside of Nashville. Uh but you saw a lot of, like, so the community comes together in this really nice display of mutual aid to do all the cleanup, basically, before any official crews could get there. But with that, you also saw, like, these far-right groups coming in for photo ops, and it just, it normalizes their presence in heavily impacted areas, and it was not not ideal. Yeah, a lot of the American militia movement, especially the modern kind of post-2008 three-percenter strain of it, is predicated on this idea of a complete breakdown of order or a loss of civil order, however you conceive of that. And um, these like climate disasters that are going to hit areas are going to kind of provide a self-fulfilling prophecy for these people to step in and say, like, oh, no, you need some sort of armed force. You need some sort of group of people to keep order and to keep law in whatever way they conceive of that. I do think it's interesting you guys talking about kind of like the photo op thing that they do, because when the wildfires happened in Oregon, all of the, the actual like relief work was done by anti-fascists. Like we, you know, like people in Portland, we set up, you know, these these massive camps to help, you know, all these like you know, much more conservative people who, who, right. who had to evacuate their uh, evacuate their homes. And they were all getting fed and all like their clothes and stuff were coming from anti-fascists. And the, all the right did was do the armed checkpoints thing. But interesting that like. In the South, where there's less anti-fascists, like you know, compared to the general, compared to like Portland, right? How some of those groups actually do do some of the relief effort, um, and that that's definitely not the case up here in the in, in the West Coast. Oh yeah, I mean, last year I remember a uh, few county level militias that I follow in Virginia were like seriously doing relief work. Like they were gathering food, they were taking out to places affected by flooding in North Carolina, by tornadoes in Tennessee. It's not, I wouldn't go so far as to call it mutual aid, because it lacks the kind of ideological framework for that, but they are providing some sort of infrastructure. I think mutual aid for their guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. The, yeah with, with less of, like, the theory side of mutual aid, but, like, and I'm sure there's someone else who can speak more on this, but, like, from my perspective growing up in a super weird church, I see this inter- interacting, I see this, like, combining with local churches a lot as well. Um, I'm not sure there's anyone else here who could say something more intelligently than me about how, like, religion will combine with these, like, kind of militia efforts. Well, I live, like, eco, eco-extremists, like, on the far right, on the very, very fringe far right, can, um start to, like, be very esoteric about their, you know, belief in climate change. 
and they start to sort of frame it as like a reason for the collapse, um, that we need collapse, or attacking infrastructure, like for the purpose of somehow saving the planet, even though it's really not going to get them anywhere. We have really need it. We have to do a lot of our own work on the planet. We can't just destroy everything and see if it works. Yeah, out. we can definitely bring up uh, accelerationists yeah. and accelerationism as a as an over overarching thing that is you know not just it, it, it not to be like horseshoe theory about it, but but accelerationism pops up in a whole whole lot of areas, um, including areas of the left where it becomes very unuseful, um, and it can lead to like a lot of wasted time and some destructive tendencies. I mean, I think that point kind of also provides an interesting through line between more mainstream militias and like the really esoteric brands of eco-fascism or ecologically based extremism, is that like they're both very influenced by, like, colonial schools of thought. Uh, like, eco-fascism and all that is kind of predicated on this idea of, like, terra nullis. Like, uh, there is this perfect, empty, wild land that we can have. Manifest destiny. Exactly. And, like, so much of the ideas of order and, um, like, peacekeeping that you find within more mainstream militia movements come from this exact same type of thinking, where it's like a colonial order that you need to keep. Yeah, I know there's a lot of a lot of people on the left who are in like the kind of um like you know green green like, like eco socialist or like green anarchist kind of strains. We get very frustrated when people talk about eco fascism, which I, I can understand because no one really means the same thing when they talk about it. Sometimes they just mean any like ter- any like quote unquote terrorism that has like. Uh, has like an environmental purpose. Some people, you know, when they think of ecofascism, they think of like overpopulation. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things they mean mean by it. But I know we we've all had talks about like what we personally view as like ecofascism because it, it, it's 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 not just eco extremism. Uh, like eco extremism does not equal fascism. Like there is there's a whole bunch of eco extremists who are very anti fascist. Um, and there is some who kind of bridge bridge the gap. You know, like 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 ITS has some more fascist tendencies. But I would not accurately call them fascist based on the type of stuff they do the type of writing they do they do not have they, they do not check all of the boxes um but then then we do have people who i would accurately describe as eco-fascists who have done who've done you know mass shootings who have a lot of eco who have eco-fascist stuff either in the, the writing that they like or their own manifestos they bring up enough points it's like yeah you kind of fall into this broad category does someone here want to give their personal definition of eco-fascism this isn't this not necessarily exactly what we use for the pod, but I just I'm interested to hear. There's a lot of people with various backgrounds. Everyone has their own specialized knowledge. What kind of when people say that, what what do you kind of put into that category? People believe in like this organic law and like natural order, and they believe that like there is a natural hierarchy ingrained in everything, and they think that generally like if we return to like some kind of primitive society or like you know, uh, they'll assume that, like, everything has, uh, its own structure, and that there's gonna be people who rise to the top, people who just, you know, uh, don't belong in that kind of society. It's gonna be really damaging for, like, the elderly, for disabled people, and they just sort of see it as, like, survival of the fittest. Um, and I think that's, like, a much more eco-fascist point of view rather than like a more green anarchist point of view where things would sort of even out um, rather than become a 
hierarchical. Yeah, yeah, I think hierarchy system. is an important yeah. part of that, and how we, you know, there is like a lot of green anarchists who are focusing on like making their own medication for for you know people with diabetes and stuff, and that's mm-hmm. kind of stuff that is like really interesting to look at and stuff that we should absolutely pursue because yeah. we'll become less reliant on supply chains and. We don't really see eco-fascists doing that. Yeah, <laughs> we, do no. not, we do not see them focusing on making medication for people. Oh, no. <laughs> um, maybe I can kind of set some people up to say more stuff if I say this real quickly. But one of the things that I always, or that, that is a red flag for me, is is just, you know, bringing in these very traditional discussions of gender roles and, and relating that to the environment. Yeah. Any of our rhetoric people. Can you give an example? I mean, I don't, I, I, we don't need to say names of specific, like, writers or people, but there's definitely... A way in which to, like, describe, like, the gender roles? Sure, yeah. Stop works. playing with the toy gun, oh my god. <laughs> um, just, just, like, establishing... And it is kind of, it, it can be kind of like an older left thing, too, but establishing, you know, ecological discussions within framework of traditional gender roles, um, and kind of, like what is expected of people based on their sex. Yeah, this is this is this is the dark side of cottage core. Yes. Um, when, <laughs> That's so, one way to put is, it. Yeah, is, I mean, you want to get in here? Oh boy. Yeah. Emmy likes cottage core. Oh, I love cottage core. I, I, like, I like parts of cottage core, just not when it intersects with a certain strain of politics. Oh, right. Well, like queer cottage core is extremely cute. Sure. Until until yeah, until. well, until you're not queer and l- l- listen, yeah. What? Sometimes they still are. Now, here's the thing: when we're when we're dealing with like traditional gender role stuff, it's a really like slippery slope into more aggressive strains of thought. Yeah. So when we're when we're talking about you know, the idea of of the class, stop playing with the toy gun. I will you throw you out of this ATF. I will throw you out of this podcast. I don't want that. We will turn. <laughs> we will turn this podcast around. Podcast. It's Matt's birthday, you ass. Toothpick apologizing. Yeah. Okay. Have fun editing. <laughs> Continue editing. Yeah. Rip to the editor. I wouldn't know what that's All like. All this stays in. So, oh, good. So, when they're talking about the claps, and they want, you know. They think uh, the, the rod of modernity will be gone. Society will be ended. They can they can you know rebuild from the ground up smaller communities and uh, they can they can build the society they want, which is largely ethno nationalist. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. Uh, the the idea is that there will be this this super traditional family structure. You're going to have your your uh, this combined uh, strong warrior, also homesteading man, and your uh, cool trad wife. Yeah. Um, no. Who never ages above thirty no. in this society? No. Like it just doesn't age above high range. Doesn't age above twenty five. I'm being generous here, yeah. assuming that at least like some of these people have a little bit of like okay. pre planning, but they don't. They don't. Um, and <laughs> they they step on each other a lot, right? Because they have this this whole plan for this uh, this society free of industry, um, and they can't stop posting about it on the internet. Which is pretty funny. Which is really funny, right? Like, they're not, they're not good at it. Yeah, they're, like, way too addicted to posting to, like, actually commit to, like, the true off-the-grid trad life. At least, at least 10k was off-the-grid. We don't gotta hand it to him. You gotta hand it to him. We don't gotta hand it to him. We don't gotta hand it to him. You gotta hand it to him. You under no circumstances, you gotta hand it to him. Pod is divided on how much we gotta hand it to 10k. 
The um, official stance of terrorism bad is that terrorism is bad. Why don't we just bring them on? It is kind of a it. concern when they do end up, when they stop posting. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's a concern when they're posting, but it's kind of more concerning you, when you, you would see rather them just keep posting like, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's the same as like looking at a kid that wants to Watch be a firefighter or something. Like, they're just talking. They're not going to do it. But you see some of them doing it. And when yeah. they're doing the thing... The lifestyle influencer version of fascism. Yeah. Do you think that it's going to affect kind of like laws about living off grid and laws about like for for normal people who just want to get the fuck out? I actually just read something about this. There is some guy who'd been living off grid in Pennsylvania for like 30 years. And I don't remember the details of this and we don't have internet out here. Old guy? Yeah, it was yeah, an old guy. Like, burned his house down? Yeah, yeah. he's, he's yeah. in jail now. Uh, he's probably going to be in jail for the rest of his life. And I think part of whether it comes from the left or the right, as people kind of start to try to build resiliency within communities for disasters that are coming and start to seek ways of living that do not rely on supply chains and do not rely on the state, the state will strike back against that as a consolidation of power. Because the more that people move away from it, whether on the left or right, the less power the state has. I mean, utilizing counterterrorism is an excuse to do so. Yeah, because they're giving them reasons. And and it's not it's not going to get enforced equally. Mm, I'm sure the government's going to going to focus on certain people doing this and be slightly more okay with other people doing it. It will. Um, Well, yeah. What's so? I, I would like to talk about Canada a little bit because specifically. Climate change affecting Canada is going to be very. It's going to be slightly different in most of it compared to the states. Because I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been having my 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 waist deep in climate science books for most of 2021, um, and Canada's going to probably see economic boosts, um, and they're probably the states probably just going to act, get actually stronger because of how. Same thing with Russia. Uh, both Canada and Russia are going to get more economically powerful under climate change because of how much more crops are going to get moved up. How? Give me your thoughts on Canada because Canada is my backup plan. As soon as stuff gets too spicy in the states, I'm t- I'm taking my Canadian passport and hiding in the woods. Um, how? How? What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's interesting to hear you guys talk about American militia culture because we we definitely in our rhetoric and propaganda that we see in Canada it gets borrowed a lot. The talking points from the states, like the the concepts, uh, but what we don't have are these strong organized militia groups. We had three percenters for a while, um, and who still exist, but they were they were big about being off-grid. Like, they were the ones who weren't posting for a long time. Um, and it seems like, as much as all these people are still around, they've largely deflated down. Because um, well, Canada's made some, some efforts to call them terrorists, right? Right. Very recently, yeah. we designated them as a terrorist organization. Yeah. Um, which doesn't carry a, a criminal charge, but if you... If you do something involved with them, you send them money. Like there is, there are consequences yeah, yeah, yeah. to that. Legal enhancements. Okay. Um, but our our kind of militia culture focuses on the illegitimacy of the state. That Canada is founded. It's very kind of sit uh, type rhetoric, but that Canada's establishment, its its rules, and especially with all the public health measures, it's this growing uh, this growing kind of tide of thought. In both the prairies and largely out west. Yeah. I grew up in Saskatchewan. Um, uh, most of my family is in Alberta. I know when, when I look at when I because I, I keep a soft eye on some Canadian hate groups just because I'm Canadian. Most of them pop up around Alberta. 
Um, where do you see this stuff kind of like happening? Like, do you see any of this on the East Coast? If so, is it smaller, or is this mostly on like a West Coast Canada thing? Well, that like that conspiratorial thought we've seen kind of across the country. Like on the East Coast, you know, just recently we had people setting up their own version of checkpoints um, as like a protest against the. Uh, the public health measures. Okay, yeah. And, like, the whole eastern part of Canada is in its own bubble yes. right now. Um, but, yeah, you had this, like, conspiracy-based movement forming these actual checkpoints. And then the main part of it, though, is probably going to be out west. Okay. Like, that is where these ideas are the most popular. Or yeah, the most popular. That, that makes sense. Where mainstream politicians are moving towards, you know, amplifying these type of talking points. Yeah, um, is, is, do you see that, like... Is that is that is that a mostly Alberta thing? <laughs> it's a mostly like prairies, Alberta, prairies, like okay. the farmland. The interesting part is though when you talk about groups, is like in Canada, groups are an urban phenomenon for the most part. Okay, huh. most of our organization takes place around the city centers, and th- that is very different from the states. With the states, it's, it's usually the usually the opposite. In some, there's there's always exceptions of where people live, but generally we see it as more as more of a rural thing when mm. groups organize, whereas cities are more like liberal, and that's where, like, the anti-fascist groups are based. Um, but it's kind of these, like, these little ideological pockets that exist all over, and certainly that sentiment is probably shared, but the, I, the need to mobilize seems to mostly focus on the urban centers, and then we'd never have our groups like, they're, they're, providing they're, any kind of aid to yeah. people. Like, that's just, a, or even checkpoints, like, that's beyond these, like, very recent protest movements. I know, I mean, there has been, you know, more forest fires around B.C., um, around, you know, uh, Western Alberta. Um, how do you see the government's response to these types of things right now? I know Canada's in a, in a, in a particular situation with um, the Liberals having minority control. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Canadian parliamentary system is probably confusing to a lot of Americans if they don't understand it already. Um, but, yeah, how, how, what, do you, what do you see on, on that front? Because I know, you know, Justin, both, both, both Trudeau and Biden talk the talk around, like, pipelines and stuff, but then do the complete opposite. Um, how do you kind of see this kind of stuff working right now for, for like, on the, on the climate side of things? Well, yeah, our, our reaction to the firefighters, or sorry, our reaction to the, the wildfires, um, I mean, the government response is always looked down on, like, it's always looked at poorly, um, but none of these people are taking this as an opportunity to kind of change minds, okay. you know, do PR. Um, there's much less reaction to it. Most, like, the West also, there's this incredible feeling of alienation, because of yeah, the way that absolutely. our government is set up, yeah. they have substantially less, or they have substantially less voting power. Yeah, the same way in the states, how you know, there's like there's like southern states or states in the Midwest who feel like they don't really have any power politically. Same thing for almost the entire east, entire west coast of Canada. Everything from like Manitoba to Alberta and parts of BC, you know, everyone is very frustrated at at at, at, at the at, at the federalities. Um, and how they really don't have control for what's happening. Like, yeah, people on the East Coast are controlling what what our what our pipelines or what our mines are doing, and that does not fair to our workers. Because yeah, it is. It does suck when you know a, a, a mine closes and then everyone in a small town is out of business. Like mm. the part the part where I grew up in Canada, all my family around them, you know, used to be in you know bustling small towns that are basically all all now ghost towns because stuff closed. People had to move to either like Calgary, Edmonton, Regina. Don't laugh. Um, so, you know, all, all these specific things, you know, we see pockets of this, we, we see pockets, <laughs> we see pockets of this in, like, the Midwest and the States, definitely. 
Oh, I think okay. it also is like, like manifest destiny shit because like there's a lot of they that are Canada, pe- yeah. a lot of it started with people kind of moving outward to try and gain more land and make their borders um, larger and like live further out to like try and uh, obtain more territory um, and with the like Canadian big surge in like indigenous rights and the big focus and shift to like sort of give them land back or something? I'm not exactly clear on what the Canadian stances are on that. What? Oh, just like... I mean, we have a big movement mm-hmm. from indigenous populations to... They seem very, like, dichotomous. Like. Well, I, there's so many different bands and mm-hmm. tribes and different types of nations. Um, like, we have unceded territory, and the dynamics with which the government is supposed to deal with and has agreed to deal with and actually does deal with them is all vastly different. Um... But yeah, that, that idea of this focus on these particular issues, like indigenous issues, um, even our attempts to, you know, have a greener economy, you know, for a place that for a long time and still is an extraction economy. Yes. Um, <laughs> How does yeah. that, like, oil affect the... the it's, a, it's an oil company with healthcare. Yeah. More like extremist far-right groups who want to move out that way um, for the purpose of organizing. And you also have the indigenous focus within the liberal government. So, like, how do those two groups, do you think, like, interact? Uh, like, the general conception is that the push for indigenous rights, is, especially on the farther right, is is for the disenfranchisement of white Europeans. Like, mm-hmm. it is... Um, and then, yeah, you do have this Western exodus where we have very popular figures who are moving further west because there are these stronger ideas of sovereignty. Um, I forget what exactly it was polling, but when the Western exit or Wexit started, you know, there was a significant amount of popular, or at least, like, not strong support, but, like, existing support. There was was, was a a large amount of support. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see what happens, though, talking about collapse, like, you know, in these small towns, in like, cloistered communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, they already feel cut off from the government and not represented. And then yeah. if you have a breakdown of infrastructure, you know, that'll create... Like, why do we even have them in the first place if they're not helping us? Exactly. Which, is, which, which is true, which is, like, a, a real thing to think about, but their solutions are wildly different than the actual solutions to help people. Right. And we've already yeah. seen how this plays out in the past as well, with, um, you know, places where uh, the infrastructure starts to break down and then people who have weapons kind of become the authority just based on the fact that they have more power. Yeah. I, yeah. So one of the things that I follow is a lot of kind of like the more, let's characterize it as, as boomer esque conspiracy theories, um, especially with anti-vax, anti public health measures type thing. Um, and one of the things that, that, that really is noticeable to me is how much more sovereign citizen stuff is creeping up into those areas. Um, and especially, uh, you know, there, there are two really big examples of, you know, if there's an anti-vax protest in your city, it's probably one of these two networks that both come from Europe um, that I'm not going to name right now. Um, and those two networks also, you know, love to organize over the messaging app Telegram. Um, and Telegram is, tell me if I'm stepping in at Emmy. Telegram is where, you know, so much of this ideology, this far right ideology is able to cross mix and co-mingle. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 
We, we talked about Telegram enough in the pods. Okay, cool. But people are familiar. Yeah. You haven't stepped in it yet. Keep going. Uh, yeah. Like but, adjacent, adjacent to stepping, you know, but it's fine. It's, yeah, so, so I mean, my, my, my biggest framework, and I talk about this a lot, is, is Telegram as kind of this technological embodiment of the cultic milieu, um, because there is so like basically no enforcement, close to no enforcement on Telegram. And so... You know these these more malicious actors know that, and they know that they can find an audience who is interested in, you know, opposing the mainstream conspiratorial thought in these kind of like boomer, tel- boomers on Telegram and conspiracy groups. And there are you know malicious actors planning to go in and win these people over. And you know a lot of these malicious actors are younger people who don't have those resources, but they know that they can win over these people who do have resources, who own land, who have savings mm-hmm. to kind of like fund that movement. If yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I do think that the cultic milieu is, like, a really important heuristic for these kind of collapse scenarios, because the question of what happens when kind of infrastructure and any sort of political guidance falls away is governed a lot by that. And, like, this idea that there's there are these ideas floating around in our society, and once people have nothing else to turn to, these malicious actors will bring this stuff in. And, uh, yeah, to put it simply, then we're pretty fucked. Yeah, Telegram also has recently started to ha- to crack down on people, and um, because of that, you have this really interesting dichotomy of people who are saying, like, this means, like, get ready, get prepared, go off-grid, get guns, yeah. and you also have, yeah. on the other end, people who are saying, you know, create alt-tech platforms and, like, create um, more, like, self-encryption and, like... I don't, I don't, I'm trying not to step in yeah, it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm, like, I'm with you. But to be able to uh, to yeah. speak more peer, like peer-to-peer um, resources. And that wraps up part one of the Terrorism Roundtable discussion. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us at Happen Here Pod and Cool Zone Media on all of the socials. Uh, you can find me at Hungry Bowtie. Um, and you can follow uh, a decent amount of the researchers on, on their podcast at Terrorism Bad, the podcast. I think I think it's just at Terrorism Bad. Anyway, thanks for listening to part one. Part two drops tomorrow. Stay tuned. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. I'm Garrison Davis. This is part two of our terrorism roundtable discussion. If you haven't listened to part one already, I would recommend you scroll back, listen to the previous episode, and then continue on from here so you have kind of context to what exactly we're talking about. Anyway, this is part two of our discussion in the woods. I hope you enjoy. Something that was talked about earlier this year after January 6th was like, should the government ban Telegram, right? That was the thing. And there's a lot of a lot of arguments are like, no, no <laughs> um, absolutely not. And there's, does anyone want to speak on that? Because, you know, because like, if, if, if I want to talk about the government's response to these things, you know, that's a very governmenty thing to do. Be like, oh, people are organizing on this platform. Get rid of the platform. Problem gone. Yeah. And that's not how that works. Uh, does, so, uh, Emmy, do you want to talk on that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah. So they're yeah, getting rid of the platform doesn't necessarily help, um, especially when it's something that is important, such as like, you know, encrypted communication, which is something that more people than just Nazis need. Yes. Um, and that resource should not be cut off. And there's also kind of a bad precedent to be set if the if the government is deciding which uh, forms of speech it needs to have complete access to. I don't love that. Um, the other thing is that if, if we nuke Telegram, right, they don't disappear. They yeah, form exactly. the networks they're in other places. They're still there, and still then they there. have to do more things in person. Right. They're still there, they're just harder to they're harder And they're hard to track. People are absolutely correct when they say deplatforming works, because it works for the platform, and a lot of people just want that. A lot of people just don't want to see Nazi shit, and they're fine with you know deplatforming, and they say this works, and they have data to back up that it does work, but, but it, it, it works for of... the platform, but the people still exist. Well, people yeah. are still boosting their own shit, and when they bring up building their own all tech platforms, you know, it that only works if you can, get there early. Yeah. 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 And there, there is elements that, yeah, deplatforming is a wider thing, can work especially for like in person stuff. 
but yeah, for the, for the thing you're mentioning, yes, it is. It is definitely uh, not not that cut and dry. Yeah, and Telegram's really interesting because it is kind of this middle space between social media and just a messaging app. Yeah, uh, yeah right. it has and the thing about it too is that anybody can look at these, you know, the public channels. Yes, exactly. So without without saying anything in the chat, so people could be kind of completely invisible. Nobody like nobody knows that they're there. They're watching the stuff, and they're still getting the same messaging. They're still getting the same dates for protests. They're still, like, organizing, but they can be uh, sort of just subscribed to a channel. And You don't even need to be subscribed. You can just, yeah, you can just know the name. Just looking into it, it and getting that flow of information without yeah. ever having, like, formal organizing, so to speak. And it's so, so it's really hard to say that, like, you know, these people planned this because there's a lot of plausible deniability and that anybody so- was involved. There's so much easy hyperlinking between groups and channels mm-hmm. and everything, so it's so easy for someone to move between ideology and to go from kind of like the base level shit into the much deeper stuff extremely quick. Very quick, yeah. Extremely quick. Well, that's like the thing that's that is good, design. Thing that's yeah. good for them about Telegram is that you have all of the people that are uh, vulnerable to, let's say, new ideas in one place. Yeah, that's a big thing you get. Right. Recruitment. Exactly. If you're trying to plan a collapse, you're going to need a lot more people than the numbers that the people who want a collapse actually have. So the easiest way to kind of move things along is to start inserting their ideas and their discourses and kind of altering the vibe of certain digital environments um, manually until they have um, what we can kindly call cannon fodder. Yeah. Yep. Or even starting their own and saying, like, you know, this is a MAGA platform, and it's actually just, you know, a bunch of bunch of accelerationists who made it, we definitely, and we made it to recruit them. Yeah, we definitely saw attempts of this with, like, QAnon, of people who are way more accelerationists trying to use QAnon people as cannon yeah. Extremely, oh, yes. It was successful, yeah. wasn't it? Just attempts. And, and, and they did it, yeah. and QAnon people died. Well, you're, I mean... That, and then also you've got, like, a, like the idea of the Boogaloo, right, that's been co-opted yes. to try to appeal to leftists, and I mean, there's a really good article by Left Coast Right Watch that goes into one of those chats, and they're basically like, yeah, really try to push these ideas of, really try to push talking points of, like, Black Lives Matter and all this, we want to get these protesters on our side. And then you also have um, some blatant, like, white supremacist groups who are also yeah. using the Boogaloo the, to appeal And how to, much of that, too, is, like, how much of that is sort of real, genuine, like, I am not racist. I believe in Black Lives Matter. Like, I want to be part of this, even though I'm a Boogaloo. Or, like, how much of it also is um, kind of reminiscent of what we were talking about yesterday, and I also don't want to step in it, but, like, with, you know, the idea from Manson of, like, Helter Skelter and, like, causing that race where it's, like, they what they would do is, like, try and frame black people for it and say, like, this was, you know... Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I mean, like, the and Boogaloo, so how much of it is saying like this is Black Lives Matter, and they want people to see that after they do a boo. The, the the Boogaloo group that showed up in Portland in Jan in July um, of 2020 when the the feds were happening, you know, they, they showed up and were all like, "Yeah, we're here to support Black Lives Matter and stand against the federal government and stuff." Um, and they had some very uh, suspicious patches that it took me mm-hmm. uh, took me about a year to figure out what they were, and it's like this accelerationist like. Um, it, it ties into a whole bunch of like eco-fascist propaganda stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's so, like they're they're saying these things while they have these very obscure patches. Um, and yeah, this is an important reason why we need 
people who are not very smart, like I will say Jimmy Dore, who puts these, who gives these people platforms, are some of the worst and are going to cause a lot of problems because uh, they have no idea what they're doing. Or they know what they're doing and they're just bad. Yeah. And like that Boogaloo thing kind of serves a twofold purpose in that you can bring people who self-identify as leftists into the movement, but you also have a really good scapegoat for like actual action. Like That was a big thing that we saw in Minneapolis when things first popped off and like precinct was getting burned down and suddenly people on the internet start losing their minds about the umbrella guy. Umbrella guy! The umbrella guy at the auto, the at the auto the zone. Shit. Yeah. And there was a guy who was indicted. He was a boogaloo boy who was indicted for um, like headlines said burning down the precinct. He fired a weapon. In he the fired precinct. a gun on like near the wall. Exactly. And so that at the same time takes away agency from left wing movements. Yes. And the state's able to be like Look, see, it's just all... It's okay to crack down on them because they're all, you know, wild white supremacists. Exactly. Just from any autonomous movement that forms the people in a community that isn't... That we wouldn't necessarily refer to as leftists. It's just pissed off people. I mean, that's what we saw in every single, you know, every Every big city. city Every big city, The young kids who are fucking pissed off and are going to go smash it. And it's like saying all of this is people from outside of the town. Where it's like, I know... Outside agitators. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's a tale as old as time. Like, outside agitator has been used since... Before the it's, civil it's a rights very movement. old state All talking things. point. Yep. Yeah. Were you going to say, Matt? Um, yeah, I was going to say also. Uh, I mean, it's somewhat related to that. We were talking about using like QAnon as cannon fodder, yep. and it also ties into the Sovset conversation we were having. So, my research, I special or not specialize, I focus on uh, Christian identity, this white supremacist ideology, and how specifically how it's grown since the '90s until now through like the internet and all that fun stuff. Uh, this whole point they've been pushing lately is to like they're this with Christian identity. The whole thing is they are preparing for the apocalypse, which they call the tribulations. And they see modern CI folks see the boogaloo as like the tribulation that's coming. So what they're trying to do is go off grid and really try to like establish this new land or like to protect their kids and everything from like pollution and all that shit, but also to, be away from the collapse and be able to survive it. And then while they're doing all that, like prepping homesteads and like compounds and stuff, they're also like pushing uh, like uh, election fraud conspiracies and all that on like QAnon and the MAGA crowd. Not because they believe it. Not because, yeah, right. They don't believe it. They know it's bullshit, but they can use it to accelerate collapse. Just like January said. Yes. So exactly. Like, I mean, when, I mean, there were groups when uh, Joe Biden won the presidency or won the election, whatever, uh, some groups being like, yeah, really try to push this theory, uh, this conspiracy about election fraud. Even if you, even if you don't believe in it, just push it because that helps our cause. Exactly. Uh, and that's, that's something to be really mindful of to forgot where else I was going with that. But well, yeah, some... a lot of them don't mean what they say. They'll say things that'll push other people to do something yeah. that they don't necessarily want to do. And that's a lot of, a lot of like, during January 6th, so much excitement because they could see that the QAnon crowd were actually mobilizing. Yeah. And yeah. so they yeah. said to them, like, to themselves, like, you know, get them get them mobilizing for the white race. Get them mobilizing for, you know, our cause. And they've really successfully been able to infiltrate that and be able to get some people on board with some of it. Yeah. Like just based on using their rhetoric. Yeah, yeah. I know I talked about this on our podcast, but 
you could see it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I reported on January 6th in person, and, like, you could watch it happen. Someone with a skull mask on or a Proud Boy or an Oath Keeper would literally come back from the police line, grab a group of people, yell something at them about QAnon or the storms upon us, and throw them up to that riot line. The New York Times got did, a really good yeah, inv- was, did a really good yeah. visual investigation of yes, how those yeah. extremist groups used mega people and QAnon people as their foot soldiers. The QAA um, folk, uh, QAA did a really good breakdown on their J6 episode. QAnon Anonymous podcast. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But it's also, uh, with, I mean, not to link everything to Christian identity, which I have a tendency to do, but it's, <laughs> it's very uh, ideologically similar to QAnon, like from a Christianity point of view. Like, yeah. it's, QAnon is like, so close to the edge of Christian identity that it's very scary. Actually, I talked about it on uh, Jake Hammerhand's Q Clearance podcast, but it there's also, like, not only trying to accelerate things through them, but also trying to recruit them through these, like, very, very similar talking points about, like, the synagogue of Satan and all that. Saying that nonsense. Christian identity is an entry point for some of them. Some of them yeah. bring it up as yeah. an entry point into further, like, accelerationist Nazi shit, but, like, they will start with Christian identity because they think that it's more packageable to people who already believe in QAnon. Well, yeah, exactly. Yes. I mean, like Will was saying, these there a lot of this comes from these kind of boomer conspiracies and anti-vax groups, and you're not going to be able to get uh, you know Mimon and Pap Pap into like Wotanism or something like that. Well, if you try but, hard enough, uh, you can, can sure. Could. But like Christianity is something that's palatable. It's something that's mm-hmm. normal to them. And as you can kind of slowly tweak it through QAnon, you can get them to this much more extreme yeah. place. And when oh, yeah. we talk about Christian identity, I think we should, like, maybe, Matt, you could define it. Christian identity, it's this uh, radical offshoot of Christianity that sees all white people as the true Israelites from the Bible. Um, and they also think Jewish people are all literally uh, the spawn of Satan. There's this really dumb theory they came up with and, like, kind of rewrote the whole Bible off of called, uh, can I name it? Is that okay? Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh, dual seed line theory where they say, you know, like, the story, if you know about, uh, like, Adam and Eve and all that, uh, they had Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, within, yes. Right, so they see um, Cain was the offspring of Eve and the devil, and he is yep. literally the spawn of Satan, and then he intermingled with all these races that were there before Adam and Eve, and created this demonic race, and it's really, really fucking dumb. Uh, but it's still here. It is, yeah. It's been it's, here for a hot minute. And uh, it's probably going to keep going. It's going to get oh, worse. Okay. Calling it now. It's, it's going to get worse. It's, uh, it's going to get worse. Yeah, but, uh, and the whole thing is they essentially, like, worship, like, a Nazi Jesus. They see Jesus only, uh, was really only talking to the white race, and that Christianity and, like, God only is able to be perceived by the white race. And, and before you start laughing at these people, because yes, it does sound very silly, keep in mind that these are extremely dangerous. Like, yeah, like, I mean, you had, like... Right, this is, this is the one problem with QAnon, when liberals just start laughing about how crazy it is, and then they're so surprised at January 6th. We're like, no, no, like, you, it's, yeah, like, they're actually dangerous. Yeah, yeah I mean, Christian yeah. identities... He's, he's been yeah. mentioned in a lot, yeah, and he's... Christian has been mentioned in various manifestos linked to actual terrorists. Has formed very, like, organized groups. Like, I mean, historically, you look at... uh, A big part of, like, with Christian identity and with a lot of these kind of, like... A lot of them base their, like, whole historical context of, like, Arianism on this rewriting of history based on um, a fake study that was done in Nazi Germany about... Uh, where some 
Proto-Indo-European languages came from. And so they believe that, like, white people came from uh, an area that's, you know, you could generally say is sort of near the Black Sea. Um, Mm -hmm. And that it's based on this, like, strange idea that, like, Sanskrit is not the oldest language, but, like, are you pointing the gun at me because I'm stepping in? You're, you're getting real close. Are you point, you're getting you're real close. The gun at me. On the edge. The, like, <laughs> the historical context. The, the historical context. I think it actually is useful, and it, oh. it shows that's not. Or, yeah, there there is actual yeah, things that can be traced uh, yeah, back from this. Yeah. They, they yeah. really tried to push this. They made um, a lot of fake studies that you could spend a lot of time researching this and believe that it's true um, because there's just so much written about it and. I think this is like a tactic that they really tend to do with historical revisionism a lot is just crank out essay after essay, even if it's wrong, even if it's totally like based on false data or just skewed yeah, it data. Matter. They don't care. They just write about it and that right. they think that like having more written about it makes it more legitimate. Yeah, and yeah. that's what we are talk- have been talking about this, this whole time we've been not recording mm. is there's just an overflow of content that is mm-hmm. so easy to access, you know, not necessarily from these specific groups they're talking about, just from the further right in general. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah they I mean, just overflow the content. It's like always the top shit on Facebook. To give yeah. an idea of how pervasive even that idea of, like, where Indo-European languages came from, like, when I still went to college, I took a Religions of South Asia course, and we had to spend, like, multiple days where our professor went through these myths about like what was the the Aryan invasion uh, which like was there are Aryan people that that is a thing historically they're Iranian yes they're <laughs> not white people but like going Depends through on your definition of white people sure but they Whiteness believe it's is based relative. on language they think yes. of Aryanism as like referring to a linguistic pattern yeah but like in a university course we still had to go through and like debunk these myths because they've gotten so pervasive within culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another thing I want to say Sorry. is that kind of these more entry-level conspiracy ideas, it, it is hard to overemphasize how small the space is between the entry-level stuff and the much harder stuff. It can no. happen extremely quickly. Extremely fast. It does I, happen you extremely know, I'll fast. Give, I'll give an example. I went to, you know, I was reporting on um, an anti-vax protest and they went straight into talking about New World Order and, and yeah, Project yeah. Lock, Lockstep yeah. and, and the Rothschilds and the Bilderbergers and, like, the Sabatines and David Icke shit. Just me. And this is this was the middle of the day in, like, a metropolitan area with a bunch of boomers and Trump hats who were getting this, like, hardcore shit pumped at them. Or you, uh... We saw that a lot with the Nashville bombing, too. Like, immediately it was like, oh, it was actually an attack on Dominion. And also it was, uh orchestrated by the Rothschilds to destroy evidence of voter fraud. I forgot that that was a whole Yeah, thing. and then also there was a whole... Like, there was a bunch of stuff that came up. There was a big conspiracy that it was actually a missile strike. I had to talk my grandpa down yep. from that oh video. Oh, really? Uh, I about yeah. that. I didn't there know, was, I didn't there know was that There was a video that circulated yep. for a while about mm-hmm. that, and I had to I get into a conversation with my grandpa, who at the time was super isolated because of COVID, and that's a whole other yeah, story. That's a but, whole other problem. Um, yeah. yeah, and I had to, like, talk him down and show him, like, no, here's... Uh, Here's a video from somebody I knew who was like somewhat in the area and saw the explosion and filmed it. Like, and there was not a missile anywhere near. One of the data, yeah, one of the data studies I've done is um, and worked on is 
using big pool and small pool Discord servers of uh, far-right extremists, um, far-right militia groups, and um, very, very, like, accelerationist, skull mass type networks. Um, and looking at the big pools and the small pools and seeing the at mentions between them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. And there was not one person who was more than three nodes away from anybody else. Yeah. So you, yep. it, it's very, it can't be overstated how close people are from entry to very, very, very extreme uh, types of uh, goals. Yeah. And, 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 and ideologies. Explicit ideologies that explicitly push mm-hmm. violence. And, you know, another point I want to bring up is, um, like, you know, there's been much said about QAnon. It isn't going away. It's just not called QAnon anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with, with these anti-vax mobilizations, those mobilizations and groups aren't going away. They're just going to continue to shift and evolve their focus. And the, the networks stay. The networks oh, yeah. stay. The networks and they're planning change. for it, though. Networks, like they've, networks, networks, networks. They've, networks. They've, they've designed it that way. So I... Sometimes I find the normie stuff first. Sometimes I find the crazy stuff first. But, I mean... Not even that long ago, I, I came across a particular social media profile that was explicitly calling for acts of terror and attempting to organize acts of terror and displaying acts of terror, which is, like, an immediate problem that needs to be dealt with. However, they had multiple alternate accounts mm-hmm. that you follow that path, and on their other accounts, they're sharing, like, Tucker Carlson stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. things that your grandparents are going to watch, right? Like, and, and that is done on purpose to try to, like, siphon people out of um, more quote-unquote, mainstream versions of, like, conspiratorial thinking directly into, like, you should start exploding things. And even even more, even more, let's say, left-of-center conspiracy thinking ties into this yeah, as it, well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And Very it's much. not, you know, conspiracy theories are not solely a thing of the right, which which but, pisses yeah. me off to no end. That's, Sorry, Matt. Like, uh, no, I just want to... Uh, back you up on that like i think there's this maybe this like implicit idea that the left is uh, immune to conspiracy theories when it very much is not no, true it's at all yeah. nobody is immune. um yeah i'm just i just wanted to emphasize that point yeah that idea though of like never being that far from the serious stuff is something that's really really observable even beyond like a data level i i used to like consult with local newsrooms on how to report on things and one of the big points I always tried to drill in was, like, if you fuck this up and you frame this the wrong way, it will have consequences. And if this is stepping in it too much, we can cut this. That's why we no, keep talking about stepping in it. But, this is literally the yeah, concept of stepping in it. But, like, the um, Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof started his journey to radicalization by reading about Trayvon Martin in local news websites and local newspapers and then Googling black on white crime. And his first result... Yeah, the first shit that comes up. Yeah, was... Many some, people were yes. radicalized by the same exact thing. Exactly. And, like, it does not... It did not take long for him to go from I am reading local news articles that are framed this specific way mm-hmm. to I am killing people. Yep. Now, that's not normal, of course. Like, a lot yeah, of people not are not going to be reading local news and then suddenly start to think this way. Exactly. But, like... There is a concerted effort by some very specific people who would like to make that more, pathway more easier. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's stochastic terrorism. It, yeah. it's well, well it's interesting look, because we don't we can't like define it really as terrorism. What are they doing? They're really just yeah. they're just saying things. They're just encouraging people to do things. And like 
they're not like they're not doing anything wrong. We can't really call it terrorism. Yeah, the most dangerous people in this game are usually not the ones doing the shooting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's yeah. the people behind the scenes trying to get mm-hmm. people to go on these paths in the first place. Looking for people who are willing, and then so they see somebody reading local news, maybe, and they they want to make that pathway easier for to mm-hmm. go from local news to Dylan Roof, like because that's not a normal jump. No. Uh, but they really want to find people who are looking at local news like that and then say to them, like, well, okay, you look at this, now look at this. So trying to tie this back to climate change, how do you see, do you see a similar pathway? Instead of instead of someone Googling, you know, black and white crime, like, Googling stuff about collapse and, 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 and like, modern modern yeah. civilization. Oh, yeah. Doing the Eric Stryker. Yeah. I don't know. He, oh, Eric Stryker's yeah. been on about this, and I think that he's a, I mean, relatively, like, middle point that people get to, like, mm-hmm. fairly, like, Average people do listen to things like Eric Stryker. Yeah, he's a very Close like entry level explicit yeah. Nazi. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and another thing, and cut me off if we don't want to go in this direction. Uh-uh. But you know, one of the biggest places where we see young people getting into conspiracy theories is TikTok. It is TikTok. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, okay. that's where I'm All going. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Are we talking about, about TikTok now? TikTok. <laughs> Ed K means on TikTok. <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. We're not we're not cutting that. That is that is within well, the true. branches of the pod. Yeah. I mean the biggest entry point that I've seen for a lot of things remains crisis. Yeah. 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 Various point pr- events. And the thing is this our upcoming climate scenario is gonna give people a, an easier jumping on point. Well yeah, that's so I mean we we were talking about how like the the mythology of like like black on white crime and all this stuff. They, they're trying to create a situation that, you know, with the sense of urgency that justifies fascism, which on yes. its own is unjustifiable and ridiculous. But when there's a crisis, that's right. when people sign up. Climate for change it. is the existential threat that they've been trying to artificially create, and they no longer mm-hmm. have to. They now get to skip a lot of steps and save a lot of energy by just pointing at the fact that everything is literally on fire, and that, like, that, that makes it so much quicker. So we have to do something... We have all the guns. Now would be a great time to join in on our power. This, this, this kid, this this is our Weimar era hyperinflation type shit. Yeah, I mean, this is like when you're when you can't get food from the grocery store anymore because of supply chain problems, or when everything around you is on fire. You don't need like a great you don't need a great replacement theory. Nope. No, you, you don't, don't need any of that. You don't need to say that the Rothschilds are behind it. You you have enough, just need to wait. You have you have enough things that you experience yourself, and it's much scarier when you can't because I can't like and like how how do we how do we stop? Yeah, that? I can't how, fucking how do we debunk fight that? that. It's harder. No. The world right. is literally on fire. It's it's a problem, and something needs to be done about it. I don't like your solution, but uh, something needs to happen. So what 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 do you think on this path? And this is going to get a whole lot more speculative. But like, what can we do to make people falling down those pathways? Less often, like like what are Put the things that Put it with the doomer shit. Yes, yes. That is uh, that. That's that's one of the things that we're trying to do on the pod is make sure that people do not fall fall down the the doomer pathway. Because yeah, this that that does get people along down Eco this extremism path a lot. is logical. Like against like mo- like against most types of extremism, eco extremism is most logical. Like you look yeah. at it and you say, "We need a radical change right now," and that's correct. Um... It's just the way that they go about it is very, very different. And that's why, like, you know, eco-fascism is very different. It's its own type of eco-extremism. And yeah. there's in green anarchy. That's a very different type of 
eco-extremism. Like, these are all different parts of something that almost has the same goals, but wants to go about them very, very, very differently. And it's so easy to just look around and see how everything's on fire and think, like, the government's doing nothing about it, the government starts doing something about it, and then suddenly it's, the state's too big because we're in communism, you know? So they all have, like, different goals, and it's very conflicting on how to, how to deal with it. Yeah, and, and like, even the, with the very different tactics between green anarchy and... Um, like fascist eco extremism, they also will get to different end goals, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yes. like your your yes, your yeah. basic amprim wants a very different life than your you know very you know very uh, stepping in it pilled uh, fascist, right? But like, a, a collapse can only benefit the right. It can't. A, a collapse can only benefit yeah. the yep. people who already have power, who are already able bodied, who are already uh, stocked up on guns, who are already yep. like. Yeah, yeah. Our, that, that our does frustrate me with there being anarchists who are like rooting for the collapse because yeah. you're not gonna win. Like, yeah. you're not just gonna get you put behind a fence somewhere. You're not, not yeah. going back or out. put on the wall. Yes. Yeah, well, they've got very strict ideas of which people count as human, and the goal of, of majority of fascist movements is to you know purge the ranks of the people they see as lesser. And they have, the they have they have very precise ideas about who they plan on letting survive the collapse. All right. So let's let's. I think it's time to start talking about and tell me if I'm taking this in the wrong direction. You know, what the fuck can someone do who's listening to this? Yeah, right. yeah. Um, Recycle. No. <laughs> Stop recycling. Just, it's, it's all getting shorter showers. It's all getting buried in the Oregon no. forest. Just, <laughs> talk to Joe Biden. Just vote. Vote, vote it away. Vote, vote it out. Yeah, no. Away. Let me. Like, what can you do to like start local? Find a local group. Find yes. a local group. Find a local direct action group. Yes. Investigate that group and see. Who is behind it? But find start locally. It has to start at the local level because when should and, the, and I'm not going to say I'm going to say uh, if the collapse comes or like or you know not the collapse but like a collapse, local yeah. local collapses. There's continuous disasters. Yeah, yes. continuous disasters are going to affect at the local level. No, talk to your talk to your fucking neighbors. That's neighbors, say, talk yeah. to your family. Like uh, especially you, you try to get your family on these paths that lead to helping your neighbors instead of you know. Making friends with the church militia. Yeah, before, I mean, before you buy a gun, learn how to fucking garden. Yes. Yeah. But buying a gun and that sort of thing is is good. It's good to know how to use firearms. Basic but, emergency preparedness. Yes, but learn learn how to put on a tourniquet. Learn how to feed yourself. Learn, learn, yes. Yeah. Learn how to grow some fucking food. Learn how to cook that fucking food. Get an eye back. All that comes before like you get to be a Fallout yep. character yep. or something. Oh show. yeah. Two big first aid training. Do you want to buy an eye back? Oh yeah, an individual first aid kit. You can buy them online. Buy them online. Yeah. You can buy Take them in, stop the in gun class. stores. You can yeah. buy, you can buy them in like some pawn shops. Yeah, I like North American Rescue or North River Rescue. I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. IFACs more in the pod. Yeah, well, there are look. There are two big things. One, we all have a moral obligation to consistently counter the black pill, doomer shit. Everything is coming to an end. Like it doesn't have to. That's optional. Like we, we things are gonna get bad, but there's degrees of there's badness. There's degrees of bad. We can stop it from being. We don't need civilizational. Goals. Right. We don't need civilization to end. Like that can be done. Step two. We also have an obligation to counter the individualist stuff and yes. and and focus our efforts more towards towards community and relationships. And that is so so important because every idiot that's gonna buy a gun and have a bunker. Not only is not gonna make it, but it's gonna screw the rest of us. Like this has to be a communal effort. And on the civilization thing, like. 
we do need the civilization to change. Yes, like we need yes. human society as we lay out. We have has a lot of problems. I understand people's critiques of human civilization. But we also um, still need a society. But yeah, we, we need we need places that you know people are going to gather and people you know pr- provide the things that we have. Um, I noticed that that can be a loaded word in certain political circles. So um, I'm not you know we're not getting into like civilization theory and that, that kind yeah. of anything. Yeah, I was gonna say I would argue any uh, ideology or ideas such as the boogaloo that. Uh, kind of hypes up a collapse is generally one you should stay away from. Anything that makes the collapse sound yes. like a anything like that makes, a, a it, makes, makes it sound product. sexy. And it does. Personal glory. As I think it's important to remember, yes. like if there was some massive civil conflict that happened, I think the people who would suffer the most are the non-combatants. The as people we'll who don't want about. anything to deal with it. Like, yeah. 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 As, as we'll talk about on an upcoming episode of Terrorism Bad. Um, we'll, we'll do plugs at the end. Hold, put the gun back in your pants. Hold yourself together. <laughs> I was talking about historical precedent earlier about um, things we've seen in the past with collapses and how people with guns and people who with training end up being the ones who gain power. Um, something that, like, I was specifically reading about that was um, like the Rwandan genocide. Yeah, it yeah. you know was just the, what three months where most of the Tutsi people were wiped out. Um, there are conflicting numbers, so I'm not going to specifically say any, but, um, you know, the more recently, like this year, earlier this year, um, was only when Rwanda admitted what it was, that it was a genocide. And, um, the people, the armed forces were the ones who became like the, the leaders and the, they were backed by the government. Good they thing that can't happen in the, America. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, it's like it can't happen here, though. Yeah, nope, it cannot. We are we are immune to this in our yeah, spot the of the world. Called it will not happen here. The, not if I can help it. The other thing is, look at where you get your information from. Seriously, no matter who you are, take a long, hard look at who you get your especially, information. Even from. if you're on the left, especially if you're especially, on the left. especially, especially if you're, on the, if you're left. on the left. You know, if you want to hear about something that's happening in an area. Look at the people who are actually on the ground Local reporting that. People. Don't just rely on like news aggregators, especially on Twitter. Yeah. Seriously, no, no, no. there's, there's been a lot of bad, account. very bad faith news aggregators on Twitter who are posing as leftists. This has been a, pr- a huge problem in 2020. Le- even, yes. even leftists who just don't do their due diligence, or just do, or just do a or very even bad job. People who call themselves like counter extremism or counter terrorism researchers, and they are really talking about Antifa. They yeah. say that they are counter-extremism researchers, and they pose that way, and they look sometimes like they could be, sometimes like they're not, but, like, you know, varying degrees of, like, legitimacy. But, like, they focus only on, like, the left-wing stuff. They don't think about... They they don't don't, see where the actual, like, mass threats are coming from. It has to be this idea of, like, keeping it balanced, right? Like, not making it just, like, a far-right issue, which I would argue... I think a lot of other people would that this kind of stuff is uh, um, more concerning. It is not, not only, it's it's not not only a far right issue, yeah. and there is like merit definitely to looking at sure. left accelerationism, yeah, and left, which is not acceleration came from Marxism. For the record, like left accelerationism is not talking about anti-fascist, but um, there's really not time to get like get into no, all this. Yeah. But like. But Le- left accelerationism will be will be its own episode. But what, what some people do, posing as, um, you know, people who have credibility and are able to um, kind of sway opinion, they are 
not really doing what they say that they're doing. They're really yeah. just trying to shift the narrative from of, of racially motivated violent extremism, which is a big, obviously, a, issue a right now, category. to being, yeah. like, BLM is racially motivated violent extremism, and they want to push that narrative further and further. I think, and let's, 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 let's kind of probably start to, like, uh, wrap up and say our final thoughts on, you know, this whole, this whole topic... Um, I know we, we didn't we didn't we, we did not we, we did we did not get to talk about like um, eco defense very much. If anyone has any final thoughts on that and how they see it kind of growing and how they see the state's response to it, um, that might be worth briefly mentioning. But yeah, let's kind of let's, let's let's kind of go around in a circle and give kind of everyone's you know fi- final thoughts on the on the subjects. Um, I think collapse is is bad, and I think that uh, well, I mean that's my main. My main thing, but anything that's uh, appealing to you in on like an ecological level that's collapse related is something you should be very wary of, and I think you should be wary, very wary of like generally everything. I feel like that's kind of like I butchered. What yeah, I was be, say, be, be careful about everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess in my opinion, the idea of total collapse is very misleading because it's yes. easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And disasters don't work like that. Nope. You're, you're not going to suddenly reset one day. Um, everything is going to suck, and you're going to need to fight for whatever semblance of a society that you want to see in the world. Talk to your fucking neighbors. Get to know the yes. people in your yes. city, in your neighborhood. There are people doing good shit in whatever city, town you live in, most likely. If not, you can start it. Look at your local mutual aid network. Look at the people who are taking action around and get involved. Seriously, you know, it could be going out into a park Saturday mornings and just, like, giving out food and talking to the people who are most affected. Talk to people. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, if Everyone's you, a person you need to talk to. Touch them. grass. If you talk need, to like, people. Yeah, if you need, like, the most basic thing to start on any sort of mutual aid work, try to find a Food Not Bombs chapter in your Absolutely. area. Absolutely. Yes. They're well organized. They're easy to join. It. You don't have to put on block and fight a cop. It's... Yeah, it's a good entry point. And, also, and it's it's great it's great training for di- for disaster relief. Yes. Yeah. If you have money and you want to help, seriously, just give cash to unhoused people give on the to, street. Give, yeah. give money give money to people. Give money directly to people. Yep. Uh my last thoughts are just that I think co- the idea of collapse or whether actual collapse themselves, environmental or otherwise, will always be something to rally behind. Like it is always a an entry point as well as a motivator from from all for all sides from all sides. Um, but it's like when these things become very salient, like was mentioned before, when they're outside of your door, that's when you know. That's when like the ideology kind of hits the pavement. Like, what is actually going to play out? What is actually going to happen? And how that's going to affect people is very real. So, building community, you know, building connections, um, and just understanding, you know, who is in your community. Is probably one of the most important things. Uh, yeah, the idea of collapse is a uh, romantic and ridiculous notion. Uh, come up with people who are like really into like apocalyptic thinking and the version of themselves where they get to be the main character. So first and foremost, take care of each other. There are a lot of people out there who want to manipulate you and want to change the way you think about things, and they really, really want you to buy in to the end times, and you don't have to because you're smarter than that. Yeah, it's it's not hopeless. We really have to move away from hierarchical thinking. Our society really incentivizes hierarchical thinking. And mm-hmm. Like you were saying, Toothpick, like, we um, we really need to just be focusing on people, like give things to people, because 
you know, somebody doesn't have to, you know, earn, you know, respect and earn humanity. For some reason, we try and make it seem like that. But people are people. Um, people are in different circumstances because of, usually because of just the way that the world is. And, um, yeah, you need to just, you need to organize locally. You need to help your own people. And stay away from the internet. Shit. Don't stop posting. Stop posting. Stop posting, even though I will keep doing it because I'm, I'm the good poster. Um, who wants who wants to plug the pod? Which pod? <laughs> Your pod. Our oh. pod. Follow oh. at Terrorism Bad. Uh, we're on. That's our. That's our. Well, app, right? what, what, what is the pod? Like what? What? What do you? Oh. What do y'all do? <laughs> yeah, we go through um, portrayals of terrorism and extremism and, and conspiracies and conspiracies in popular media, and we look at it from the perspective of people who study this and say, did this succeed in portraying these things or did it as it more often does cause problems completely fail and cause us all personal problems become propaganda and <laughs> yes. like did you make terror propaganda or did you make good media about terror that is a thin line emmy it's such a thin that line is, i've that, made a career out that of is it. the that is the thin terror line yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to plug your fantastic group yeah absolutely i'm with uh you can read anything i write at antihate.ca and we do just general reporting on uh far-right extremism in Canada, as well as infiltration. What? Your podcast. Oh, and I also host a podcast called The Unusual Show. Yeah, uh, if you want to keep up to date on extremism in Canada, their group is one of the, is probably the best one around yeah. right now, in my opinion. Absolutely um, the largest. And, yeah, and the largest. Yeah. And you, 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 do, you do very good work. You keep your eye on my uh, home country where my family lives, so thank you for that. Um, and I'm very happy to... to be talking with you guys in the beautiful woods where we have no cell service, so we can't post. Um, and that's good, and we're going to continue doing that and stop using this microphone. So goodbye. Um, yeah, and uh, Terrorism Bad, the podcast. With that, that wraps up the Terrorism Roundtable Forest Discussion episodes. Thanks for listening to all of us rant about our specific weird niche focuses and uh, hopefully trying to have it within the useful context of climate change. You can follow me at Hungry Bowtie. You can follow the the podcast uh, Happen Here Pod and Cool Zone Media on uh, Twitter and I believe Instagram. You can follow some of the researchers I interviewed um, on their podcast at Terrorism Bad. So that wraps up this discussion. Thanks for listening. See you later in the podcasting verse the pod verse okay goodbye across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like updating turbines at one of our indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the gulf of mexico It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. 
Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer, check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. What's a problem, Miami? I'm a problem. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. The show where I'm a problem. I'm on vacation legally. You're not on vacation allegedly legally, but okay. (laughs) Inshallah. I'm drunk. Uh, Garrison, you're in charge now. Figure it out. Garrison, Garrison, Garrison. Hi. It could happen here. Today, we are uh, talking with somebody, if you've listened to the past two episodes, you should actually know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Theo, who is a uh, journalist and researcher, and we are going to be uh, discussing plans for an upcoming rally in Washington, D.C. That's has a lot of Oh, that seems good. Yeah. This is uh, It seems like bad things never happen when yeah, what happened, rally in D.C. What happened last time? <laughs> What happened now, last Garrison, time we did this? I don't. I, I historically only pay attention to things that happen after May and before December. Uh huh. So I'm unaware of anything bad ever happening in DC. Well, something Has bad stuff happened there. You want to well, key last, us in? Last time it got it got a little spicy. Um, okay, they, you they say spicy, t- but it's not like they tried to overthrow the government and murder elected leaders, right? That is People what they were actually just having too much fun. Yeah, they yeah, got they were just boys. They were just little, proud of their boys. A little carried away, building all of the building that big uh, hanging contraption, whatever it's called. I don't the gallows, know. Garrison. The gallows. Yeah. Anyway, we're we're talking. Uh, Theo, do you want to do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey guys, I'm Theo. Um, I'm Hi, a Theo. journalist and a researcher. Uh, I'm 
based out of Virginia, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, I end up covering a lot of events in D.C. because of that. And yeah. that's my plans for this weekend. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to give us like an overview of what rallies in D.C. have been like the past, let's say like the past year? Um, oh, boy, do I. Yeah. Let's, Has just, it been just, good? Just for background. Yeah, so like pretty much immediately post-election as the whole kind of stop the steal thing got kicked into gear, um, November 14th, there was a rally in D.C., um, and then there was one December 12th, and then there was finally one, as most people are probably aware, on January 6th. Um, yep. January 6th, you know, obviously got the bulk of the media coverage, um, but November 14th and especially December 12th were... Uh, very violent situations in general. Um, Proud Boys, uh, General Chuds, uh, a bunch of Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers, yeah. Three Percenters. A bunch of people's confused Meemaws and Pap Paps showed up. Um, would kind of yeah, wander around the died. city. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, it's pretty pretty fucked up. I I know some people who were there when they did, and it's uh, I don't know. It's sad. Like I uh, super dark. It's yeah, really I think bleak. I was there with the people that you know, yeah. Robert. Oh, good. Yeah. So you, I mean, that it's just it's so fucking. Um, I don't know the extent of the disinformation. Right. It's hard when you're talking about this to like express a lot of sympathy for some of these people. And I'm not sympathetic towards their aims. I'm not trying to do the New York Times, like, let's talk to the Trump voter down the street. But, like, a lot of them are just, like, they're fucking dumb people who bought into some bullshit. And it, it destroyed them. And their relationships with their families, and in some cases, cost them their lives. And, like, you don't have to sympathize with them to be like, yeah, that's bleak as shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, and I think you yeah. see that with the DC rallies really more so than like a Portland Proud Boy event, for example. That, that um, is not at all a gathering of like the masses. That's that's a specific yeah. group of pieces of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And like you'd have yeah, big, absolutely like units of Proud Boys or Oath Keepers. Uh, we had three percenters, some local Virginia militias, and they'd kind of be wandering around. But during the day itself, you'd normally see uh, like speakers. Alex Jones was there, um, got to meet him. That was fun. Um, oh good! Oh, I'm that's so always sorry. a treasure meeting, Alex. No, no Alex he, is a great guy. He shook we my hand. Alex. It was really fun. <laughs> He's his neck. It's hard to exaggerate how how he is just as red is. in person. He's so red, and as a guy who's good at strangling, seems like he would be hard to strangle. Oh, nearly impossible. Yeah, like that's so big. It's such like. It's like a fucking train car. Like it's ridiculous <laughs> how big that man's neck is. Look, yeah, most so like, people aren't hard to strangle. Alex Jones would be. That's not praising him. That's just being honest. Great. Yeah, so during the day, there would be speakers. You know, Alex Jones, and you'd kind of see people split up into whatever their specific brand of fuckery is. There's like groups of nerdy-looking groipers. Um, there God were some trad cats wearing robes. God Those guys it. were fun. Um, God damn it. But yeah, a lot of it's, you know, confused, like, boomers on Facebook. And kind of to Robert's point, like, 
I I normally didn't go, you know, wearing press credentials because I value knives being outside of me and not inside of yeah, me. Yeah, it's it's good to not get stabbed. Most people appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. And so I'd get to like talking to these people, especially the older ones, because I take the metro into the city, and they are just, I mean, they're just confused old people uh, who've gotten in over their heads. But yeah, yep. and then like the sun would set, and that's when the Proud Boys would really start uh, getting into shit. Uh, November 14th, they stabbed... Uh, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, so feel free to fact-check me, but I believe it was two people on the 14th. Uh, they cracked a girl's skull, yep. and then on December 12th, uh, they stabbed one other person, and Jeremy Bertino got filleted. On the street, he sure did. He sure oh, did, and yeah, the fucking DA elected not to prosecute because that was the clearest case of self-defense I have ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, so like, like the dude literally tried to flee three times. He drew his knife after by the third time he was blinded by having his shirt pulled and assaulted by a group. He had no other choice. Yeah, yeah, he did exactly yeah. what you're supposed to do in that situation. Yeah. And he repeatedly tried to flee, and when he didn't, he stabbed a motherfucker. And you can't, I, I can't, uh, he did nothing wrong. In my, in my yeah, opinion, all, the DA's opinion. Yeah, yeah. We're all probably better off for it. But yeah, there's this kind of established, uh, there was this established sort of cycle of show up, uh, a bunch of weird Republican politicians that you've never heard of before give speeches. Uh, you go and kind of wander around and then the Proud Boys come out, and they fuck around. Uh, and sometimes other groups, too. Like, uh, January, the night before January 6th, there were people from NSC 131 who mm -hmm. were hanging out, trying to cause trouble, yeah. getting in altercations, all their normal shit. And uh, so, yeah, there's this kind of, like, general mix of groups. Uh, January 6th shifted the paradigm on that a lot, and I think that's the big thing for this weekend, is we don't really know what yeah. it's gonna look like yeah can you talk about kind of what has kind of the event promotion looked like from the right like what have they what messages have they been putting out to promote this event with so yeah a lot of like the bigger groups have been fairly explicitly saying like don't go officially uh yeah. unofficially is a bit of a different story and yeah. in fairness, it's worth noting that prior to um, the sh the United Rally in Charlottesville, the Proud Boys were saying, don't go. And an awful lot of their most violent members were at Unite the Right in Charlottesville, you know? it Some some of this is a plausible deniability game. Yeah, so, like, the official Proud Boys Telegram channel was like, oh, this is, I mean, in different words, but we're pretty much like, this is a honeypot, this is a trap, this is an op, don't go. Um, but also, like, we've seen activity that really suggests otherwise. Yeah. Um, whether it's, like, smaller, more local groups saying that they want to go, or uh, streamers and journalists, using the word lightly, to uh, who have pretty close relationships with these groups, uh, hiring extra stringers for the weekend, or looking like they're preparing to report on something big. Yeah, the kind of the I know we've talked a little bit um online and with some of our colleagues and there's definitely a a, a mixed a mixed a mixed opinion on how big the event's going to be 
and who's all going to be there and what kind of their goal is, which makes kind of everything all the more tense because, you know, it's almost easier to when we know what it's going to be. Like, we like we have a good gr- grasp of what's going to happen. And this, we're not really sure. Um, do you do you know, has there been any kind of response from, like, local D.C. officials, like, like law enforcement or anything, about what they're going to do at this uh, gathering? So I did see Capitol Police is planning to put the fence back up. Um, Probably a good idea, yeah. Yeah, which, like, will cover the Capitol, but there's also a problem with the fence going up, which is the back of the fence goes right up to the end of the Black Lives Matter plaza in D.C., which has been used as kind of a rallying yeah. point for uh, anti-fascist activists. And when that fence is up, it's just, it's a funnel. The So it goes like, uh, this isn't a visual medium. There's a street, uh, <laughs> and that's where Black Lives Matter Plaza is, and there's only two exits. And both those exits lead to hotels that Proud Boys and Chuds love to stay in. So what happens almost without fail is people go and hang out in the plaza you know chuds come down the streets police form a line and it's pretty much a pre-made kettle right so that's like not good uh it's good for the capital but it's not good for the people that'll be on the ground yeah because we they're also as is most of these events um there has been some organizing uh, locally and even you know uh, uh anti-fascists from around kind of the country trying to like put out advice and feelers on like what to do for this specific gathering um and I know there's been there's been a decent amount of you know there's there, there's always like debate and conflict of, of, of around how much to show up where to show up you know how proactive people should be um but because this is the first big rally since J6, I feel like there's a lot of people feel it's much more important. And like the people have like, you know, there's, there's, there's like there's like a heightened sense around the specific thing. Um, do you know like how many people are kind of roughly planning to show up uh, on like the anti-fascist side? It's really hard to tell. Um, DC anti-fascist actions, I've seen, you know, a couple dozen people in block uh, towards close to a hundred, I would, um, from what I've heard, the kind of main counter demo that's happening is, uh, definitely less radical and is kind of trying to establish sort of a community space thing. Uh, so I would say, I don't know, expect around 40 to 50, like people who are there to throw hands. Yeah. And a lot more people who are just kind of there. I mean, it's it's this uh, it's this thing we saw. I, w- I was in D.C. for Unite the Right Two, you know, the mm-hmm. second rally, and it, it it didn't turn into much of a thing. You know, I think because of the the preparation, the expectation, and I, I guess I'm interested in if you think I'm wrong on this, but the, the, my current expectation is that maybe that might be the most likely outcome because because of the degree of anti- the unexpected event already occurred and was awful i am not expecting anyone will be given free leash you know yeah i could definitely see that sort of unite the right two scenario playing out especially because it is very similar like there was this massive shocking event that kind of yeah uh hit the whole nation, everyone's attention you know? yeah and so then people will, I think the only big difference is like, 
in the aftermath of Unite the Right, you kind of saw at times a misguided media focus, but still a media focus on anti-fascist activists as playing a yeah. unique yeah. role when you didn't have that for January 6th. And I think that's that's really one of my bigger worries is less so kind of clashes between chuds and uh, anti-fascists, which is still, I mean, you know, that's always a thing that may happen. But also, like, you have to think, these chuds that are coming, when they look at DC police, they see someone, they see the people who killed Ashley Babbitt. When yeah. the DC police look at these chuds, they're the people who beat someone, beat one of their coworkers to death. And, you know, like, there's Capitol Police, not same as DC Metro Police, but, like, in, in the minds of both these groups, that doesn't really matter. And I, I worry about the tension there. I, I Like, I don't care if they mace each other, you know. If the Proud Boys and cops mace each other, then that's a great day for me. But if it escalates further, and, you know, we're seeing that more and more the past was it the past two kind of major right-wing rallies in the pacific northwest have had shots fired yep mm-hmm. yep yep one it, it, one it, of which it every entailed, every recent pnw protest has involved gunfire yeah yeah and like the the one the august 22nd one had i i guess i guess you could call it a legitimate a very exchange of brief fire. exchange yeah yeah, a, a casual gunfight. I mean, the the start of it was not legitimate. The right winger who fired was not legitimate. Um, but the, the the two people on the left who responded were doing so in self defense. Now, right, what happened a couple of weeks later from the video that's come out was not self defense. It was a guy shooting at somebody, pursuing them from like fifty feet back. You know, it was not legally what you would call self defense for certain. Yeah, and that kind of the precedent that that set. Uh, which I, I think it's happened few enough times that we can't really say that it's it's the norm or anything like that. But it's still it's an escalation. It's yeah, something absolutely. that is did like if that if that had happened in 2017 when Unite the Right happened, like that would have been unprecedented. It's very frightening, you know. It, and, and it it should be. It doesn't matter what you think about the morality of of shooting tiny you know or whatever exchanges of fire becoming more common is a threat to everybody and it is something that should concern everybody yeah i mean it reminds me a lot of and this was kind of the impetus of the first season of it could happen here but like the early days of something like the syrian civil war where it went from Mm -hmm. protests to exchanges of gunfire to you know, what it is now. Yeah. Do you think DC's specific gun laws um, will make gunfire in DC a little bit less likely, do you think? Or I, I know, like, still, like, the police always have that capacity if they feel, um, you know, if, if they choose to, but more specific on, like, the right between people, I don't know, if, like, you know, boogs are going to show up or whatever. Um, what kind of talk do you see around firearms? So, yeah. Kind of just from experience, I think my worry with DC's gun laws is, 
only one side will be armed. Uh, every, every time that Chuds come to DC, I mean, they are obviously carrying. I mean, every single one of them is print is printing. You can tell that they have firearms on them. Uh, they don't really try to hide it, and none of them have ever. I mean, I guess apart from Tario getting arrested for illegal magazines, like none of them have really faced any consequences for that. And the general fear among people on the left is, well, even if I do come and I carry for self-defense, if I get arrested for something unrelated, that'll enhance whatever charges I get. Yeah. No, it's sketchy. And it's, um, I don't, I'm not convinced in the situation DC is in specifically that showing up with a fucking firearm is, is the right call. You know, I, I'm not in this business to lecture people, but I'm not convinced that's going to help. In the Pacific Northwest, we've seen situations where people with weapons, as on the 22nd, defended themselves and others. And we've seen situations in which people on the wep- with weapons on the left escalated things. So it's not a, it's never a zero-sum game, you know. It, it's, not, it's not a simple issue. Right, a gun yeah, and, is a neutral tool, you know? Yeah, and I don't want to, like, I don't want it to come off like I'm encouraging, you know, every person in block to show up with a long gun Good Lord, like no. that. No, absolutely. Because that not. would be yeah. a fucking disaster, most likely. But also, like, I I don't like the idea of, you know, looking at a line of Proud Boys or something and knowing every single one of these people has a gun, and I do not. <laughs> That's kind yeah, of absolutely. Like an imbalance of force that I don't like when thing if things do escalate. Yeah. No, that that's completely reasonable. In my opinion. But yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is just there's so many unknowns. Uh, You know, we've never really, there's not much of a historical precedent for group tries to overthrow the government, group shows back up in D.C. months later, or elements of the same kind of ideology. Yeah. Yeah, we just don't know. I mean, even like, I think the Unite the Right 2 example is similar, but also, like, markedly different enough that I don't know if it's an all-encompassing tool for, like, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah, is, is there any, like, specific players that y- you know is going to show up or, or, or have, like, said that they're going to show up? So, one that I kind of worry about is, um, oh, I'm going to get fucking tweets for this god damn it um so there's a group in virginia that you may have heard of uh blm 757 oh god Uh, these guys no yeah yeah. yeah, i know who you're talking about yeah uh they are based out of the virginia beach area and they are the biggest pain in the ass ever um they work with they claim to be a black lives matter organization uh the local black lives matter organizations have denounced them they work with Boogaloo Boys. They were very tight with Mike Dunn before he uh, snitched and was dropped off the face of the earth. Snitched on people, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, they, they come, and I don't like the idea of them coming to a town that is not familiar with them, because like they come to Richmond, for example, and people are like, oh, there's BLM 757. We don't fuck with them. But they come, you know, they come to a town or groups like this, like uh, NFAC, the not 
not fucking around coalition tried to come to DC and I, these groups that are going to be armed are going to want to escalate and are going to kind of try to slide in to like a counter demo or stick around like the more left leaning parts of the crowd and then could very quickly escalate things. Uh, so they're one that I'm worried yeah. about. Some local Virginia militia movement players have been chatting about it. I haven't seen really that much in the way of like definitive statements that they're going to go. Um, and th- those guys don't really worry me. They're a bunch of nerds who like to play dress up in the woods mostly. But yeah, I, it's again, it's just like these kind of unknowns. Yeah, so just like not knowing who's going to show up and what they're going to do and where they'll be and yeah. A lot. Yeah, like, and this was a thing definitely, it reminds me a lot of the first Stop the Steel rally where we had more concrete uh, groups saying we're going to be there. There was a lot yeah. more chatter about it on social media, but it was still kind of like, I don't know like what range of the sort of right-wing ideological spectrum will be here. Like, I know, you know, QAnon, your QAnon uncle will be there. But, like, for example, on November 14th, uh, Jason Kessler was there, the organizer of Unite the Right. I literally bumped into Jason Kessler. Oh, God. (laughs) Like, I was walking, and my shoulder hit him, and I looked up, and I was like, oh, sorry, dude. And then I just kind of stopped, and I was like, oh, shit. I recognize you. Yeah, you, you're that famous piece of shit. Yeah. But yeah, so like it's kind of that same thing where we don't, we really just don't have that much intel. And it seems like, you know, people with access to more streams of information than us, like the feds have been saying for, I guess, a couple months now, like we're monitoring this situation, we're like preparing to stop another January 6th, which take it with a grain of salt. It is the feds, but also like part of me, a lot of the worry I get from this is people that I know know more than I do reacting to it. Like Chud streamers, hiring stringers, feds saying like announcing months before that it's a situation that they're preparing for. A lot of people are very interested in what's going to happen. I think people are definitely preparing for a lot of different different outcomes. And that makes any kind of resistance to it hard because you don't know if you're over if you're over preparing, under preparing, you don't know if you'll have what you'll If your need. preparations are too aggressive or not aggressive enough, yeah. Yeah. And always trying to like, you know, feel it out once you're there is more scary because once you're there in person, a lot of communications break down between other you know other activists so that's what happened in like the last big rally in portland is people tried to you know change up plans once they got to the spot and it kind of made everything a lot a lot more challenging because it's hard to a lot of a lot of people in block don't have their phone on them it's just it's hard to get rides you know any kind of any kind of impromptu organizing at the site it's always going to be way more challenging than, than trying to figure this stuff out at home and yeah that's just kind of i don't know it's it's i think I think the Unite the Right 2 background is useful for, like, a big event after, you know, a, a previous event that had a lot of coverage and had a lot of talk about it because um, it had, you know, a disastrous outcome. And then I think looking at, you know, looking at November 14th and December 10th, 
um, are also are also kind of valuable indicators. Uh, has there been any? Have you seen anything around the Groypers or like any of the Fuentes crew showing up to this? Or are they are they trying to just are they are they trying to like keep good optics? I guess. I as far as I've seen, they're mostly trying to keep good optics around this. Um, that makes sense. They also yeah. they also kind of fall into the category of like people I'm not super worried about. Like some of them, yeah, but in, in like a street fight situation, in a street fight, less so. I, yeah, I'm not worried about a groiper. Yeah, like the, the most violent encounter I've ever had with a groiper was one that was probably five feet tall, following me around and calling me a soy boy for thirty minutes. Yeah, well, what I'm more concerned yeah. about is is groipers kind of following the incel terrorism tradition of you know yeah. skinny of skinny white guys getting access to weapons and then then doing something. Uh, they're yeah, not gonna, any man with a gun is dangerous. Yeah, yeah, like and they're not going to beat you. Is. Yeah. Yeah, here, finish what you were saying, Garrison. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, like, you know, of, of, all, of, all of the Groypers I've seen, they're not going to beat me in a fist fight, because they're <laughs> all even even more... They're not. Even more lanky well, I than I am. I was going to say, because you're fast as shit, but yeah. And that, and that, and that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of another thing that's... You know, it's always a possibility, these things. Like, I, I always say, like, the worst possible outcome is someone someone starts shooting like a firefight is always the worst way this could go. But with the sort of optics surrounding this, I think there's definitely space for more extreme people, uh, specifically more accelerationist minded people to try to start something to try to cause some shit. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm in Virginia, I think of the Richmond gun rally uh, in or lobby day in what was that 2019 20 beginning of 2020 I I forget all time is a flat circle to me now but um the members of the base that were intercepted on their way to Richmond uh I think about that situation and how other people and other groups uh, that we will not talk about on pod could see an opportunity here. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's more likely happening in somewhere like D.C. than it is in Portland, right? Because in Portland, we have a pretty good grip on who shows up and why they show up. On the, the East Coast, the South, um, Northeast, Southeast, they have a lot more groups with interest, with you know, obscure ideologies that are more, I think, more prone to those types of, to those types of, like, um, more insurgent attacks than I think people are on the West Coast. Yeah, and I think another thing that kind of amplifies that is, like you said, like, Portland has kind of an established infrastructure of chud fuckery. Sure do. You know, I mean, I'm on the other side of the country, and I know the familiar faces of Portland bullshit. And we we do have that to an extent, but D.C. brings people from all across the country. Uh, I was meeting people on the metro from everywhere from Tennessee to Kansas to California, and when people are coming in from such a broad range of places, 
there's a lot more uncertainty. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. And anything else you want to mention about kind of what you expect at this rally and any, I don't know, general advice as since you've been at the past three versions? Yeah, so, I mean, if you're in the D.C. area or you're nearby and you're comfortable with it and physically able to do so, I show up. Um, the one thing that we do know for sure about these events is that the more bodies we have, the less likely it is for people to be able to prey on someone walking home from work or a houseless person just trying to sleep. Yeah. Uh, the more bodies that we have, the better it is. Um, if you are either unable to come or you don't feel comfortable coming, I know that there will be jail support, mutual aid efforts, uh, and Garrison, I can send you to some links to local DC orgs if you want to throw it in the show notes. Sure. Um, but yeah, just, and if you're going to go, be prepared, have, have a buddy, uh, lock up, bring, a, bring an IFAC, and get ready to party. Yeah, I think it's, one of the things you mentioned is like more numbers helps in the case of it's less likely there'll be like roaming attacks because that's what we've seen at a lot of these rallies is that sometimes they don't ever like actually cause trouble at where people are, you know, like where the, where the people are, they wait until people are walking away or going back to their car. Mm -hmm. Or if there's no one like that, they just find some random person on the street. You know, we saw a lot of that in D.C., of, of of Proud Boys just finding kind of people in the area that they thought looked like Antifa, quote unquote, and then just attacking them. Um, so you know, the the less scattered people are, um, the less likely you'll get kind of those roaming attacks. Yeah, I think. I mean, it, it's it's always hard to speculate on an event on an event that hasn't happened yet. But um, I believe by the time by the time this airs, it'll be happening tomorrow, so uh, Saturday. Theo, do you want to plug anything? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, um, at Theo Hansen, Theo with a zero, uh, listen to my podcast, uh, Terrorism Bad, uh, we look through portrayals of terrorism and extremism in popular media, see how it holds up to the real world, um, trying to think of anything else. I'll be there on Saturday, I'll be live tweeting the event, uh, good luck. if I'm not live tweeting, yeah, I'm- Yeah, good luck with that dead or otherwise incapacitated or i don't have cell service one of the cell three. service is always horrible at these things oh it's awful yeah it's a constant problem yeah yeah they they were blocking signals on january 6th on the capitol lawn and when i stepped yeah. off i had like 13 texts from all my friends that were like hey text me if you're still alive it's really hard to tell what's going on uh, you know, when you're when you're in, like whether or not it's like a cell signal problem or if it's somebody like targeting you in particular, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. All right. Well, th thank you, Theo. Thank you for giving us the rundown on Saturday's activities. Um, I hope you don't get shot. Thank you. Yeah. I hope I do not as well. That's my general feeling towards anyone who shows up on on you know on the 18th in DC. I, I hope you don't get shot. Do your best. Yeah, and if you do get shot, know what to do about it. Well, yeah, have a have a have, have, a have an IFAC. Combat, have combat a tourniquet. Terminate. 
you yes. know, have, have some cell locks. Yeah, that's ideal. But not getting shot is better. So yes. you cannot Rule number get shot. One. Try not to get shot. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that having is... me on, guys. Thanks. Nice to you. meet yeah. you, Robert and Sophie. Nice to meet you. You can um, follow us Bye. at Happen Here Pod on Twitter and Instagram and at Cool Zone Media for all the things. And we'll be back Monday. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.